you can go on and on and on and on and on about a lot of different qualities and aspects of the storyline to Persona 5 and uh, Persona 5 Rail. You can go into more depth on each of the characters and their personal journeys throughout the story, what leads them to Joker, what leads them to becoming a Phantom Thief, their growth through that, their ups and downs, and what ultimately ends up being the fate of their characters. You can talk about each villain, each palace in more detail, go into why they're doing what they're doing, why they influence the story and the way they do. You can get into more detail about each and every confidant and how they influence everything and the flow of uh, Joker's journey as he goes through, if you so choose to do those confidants, of course. But um, one main thing that always sticks out to me is the overarching theme of Persona 5, uh, slash Persona 5 Real, and that's its theme of rebellion and its theme of a lot of these major villains having something to to gain, having something to want from this idea of control. And if you look at each palace and uh, each uh, villain from each or antagonist, not all of them are bad guys, such as like Futaba and Sai. But for the most part, if you look at each antagonist, their arc, their palace, and what they're ultimately doing that leads to this distorted reality in the metaverse is the fact that they want to have control over something. Uh, you can see it with Kamoshida when he uh, wants to control the school and run things and do it and get, get away with doing whatever he wants because he's this alumni and he's this medalist Madarame taking in these pupils and taking their artwork and feeling like well what are you going to do to stop me I'll just have you blacklisted you can't you can't do anything about this I'm the one who took you took you in so I'm going to take this art he has control over that uh kind of Shiro I believe that's his name third palace piggy bank man <laughs> he wanted to have all that power in the underground market with that gang he was running with and making that money through being kind of like an enforcer and a collector uh, I guess the one exception would be Futaba's Palace, but Futaba's Palace in general is a huge exception to a lot of what we see throughout most palaces in the game. So, you know, we, we that one's the exception to the rule. Uh, but you have Okumura uh, wanting control over the other markets, taking out, you know, competitors just so he could have more power and eventually just move up into the political world, only seeing it as a stepping stone to gain more power and gain more control in a bigger field sigh in the courtroom uh which was a casino where you know the game was rigged which kind of reflects a bigger part of the overarching story of persona 5 with joker having a game rigged against him but even in size palace uh she said she was going to give them a fair shot but all the games are rigged so that the house always wins similar to how a real casino is but on crack <laughs> Uh, you had Shido's Palace, which was the big cruise ship, where he wanted to steer the nation of Japan into the direction he saw fit. All, of course, you know, crushing anyone who tried to stop him, uh, including his own son, uh, Akechi, who, in a sense, wanted control, control over his own life and his own choices. And Akechi actually kind of succeeds on that end to the very bitter end. He never... Uh, he never accepts the fate that someone puts on them, even though he ultimately meets his demise in the storyline, regardless of if you get to third semester or not. 
he always does things on his terms and he always kept control of his life in his own hands so Akechi is one of the few antagonists uh, slash villains I, I would consider Akechi a villain who actually succeeds <laughs> and that idea of control and then of course it all leads up to mementos with the god of control i'm not going to try to pronounce his name i always butcher it yakabuga booga luga uh but the god of control even he was created by the desires of humanity and ends up wanting all that control because it's like hey you guys felt like you deserved this this is what you wanted so i'm gonna do it and starting that game with igor and rigging the game to be within his favor so that joker would ultimately lose and joker might take up uh the deal with him to let him keep controlling you can keep being the phantom fuse and then of course this all chains into royal's new semester where we have maruki tied to the story events and you would think maruki is kind of like an outlier since he's new to the game he's a new addition to the royal version of the game and it's like, well, he doesn't really have a lot of connection to anything that was going on before. But surprisingly, he does. Shido seems to link up really well with everything going on. With uh, Shido working really well in the God of Control's favor. Uh, being Akechi's motivation to start doing what he was doing. And, of course, Maruki even had a stake in that with Shido. Which leads to the events of third semester in combination with the day of reckoning that the god of control tries to force upon humanity, and we we see that a lot with the with the game is what I'm saying. There's always like some enemy trying to take control of the situation for their own reasons, for their own goals, because power and control is what they've been taught by society. It's what they've known to be the ultimate thing, the end-all, be-all thing. It's just like, if you have control, if you if you have power, you have control. If you have control, you win. You're winning the game. So they understand how society works, how the world works, and how to gain that power. They know it's fucked up. They know it's rigged, but they still take advantage of it. So I guess in, in a way, you can say certain aspects of the idea of these people trying to gain control and power is rebelling against the the status quo the idea of uh, conforming to society but at the same time they're still conforming to society because this is just what they've known and it's challenged by the phantom thieves and their idea of rebellion the idea of like well why would we sit there and just go along with it or sit there and revel in it along with everyone else why don't we stop it why don't we fight against it and even then, you can question the Phantom Thieves' actions as being more than just a rebellion. As being, as them being, in their own way, trying to grasp control of the situation through their own power by forcefully changing people's hearts. So you could even throw that argument into the ring, which the game storyline does do. So what I wanted to do for this final part, before I give my overall final thoughts of the game in general, is to go over each of the the main main antagonist of the game and when i say main main antagonist the people i, had, I didn't talk about in part four so uh we're actually we're actually gonna talk about catchy a little more because i feel like he has a bigger stake in this especially during third semester like i said he took the idea of control into his own hands and did everything on his own terms to the very end and i feel like royal does a much better job 
at fleshing out and detailing Akechi's character more than the original Persona 5 did. It's not that Persona 5 did a bad job with it. I just felt like I saw the twist of Akechi being the enemy coming. I can't tell you 100% I knew exactly what was going to happen with Akechi. But I was like, uh, Akechi's probably like, you know, the traitor. He's probably like this and this and this. And he was, and then all that stuff happened. And while I did have pity for him, that was it. I didn't really feel for him too much. With the small changes and adjustments and additions they did for his character in Royal, and with everything that goes on in the third semester, it did make me appreciate his character a lot more. He is the villain you love to hate, in my personal opinion. I don't see Akechia as a redeemable character, but at the end of the day, I see him as a character that is, I don't want to say admirable, but respectable to a certain degree. And I'll talk about it a little more. But uh, Akechi, and then we'll talk about, of course, his fucking dad, Shido, one of the, the villain before the real villain, essentially, in the game, where uh, he's the reason why Joker's even on probation. You find out that he has a much bigger grip on what goes on behind the scenes in the country than you actually realize and you find out he's been stringing along a lot of these events that have been happening throughout the game that the phantom thieves have ended up getting mixed up in and then we move on to the god of control of course the man who's been guiding joker as this false igor throughout the entire game uh, saying, like, you you have to reform society, you have to take up the challenge, knowing full and well that he never intended for Joker to ever succeed or accomplish a victory. And then, of course, ending it all off, we have our new final, final villain, uh, Dr. Maruki. <sighs> Sorry, voice dried out. Uh, who then snatches control from the god of control, who was waiting for the moment where Shido lost control after Akechi took his own control. You get where I'm going with this. Into his own hands. And uh, Maruki's third semester, this idea of a, a perfect world without pain. And that idea of the choice of if you had the ability to change things like that to that extent, to that degree, would you do so? Is it worth losing the pain you went through to get to where you were? now and to the things that you suffer through to make you the person you are now for better for the better you know and ideally i don't think i don't think anyone would say no to that if you were initially asked that question just right off the bat you didn't really have time to think about it if you were just offered that idea of that world of course you would say yes i know i would i can't tell you i would say no if I hadn't played this game, if I didn't have that context, and Maruki just showed up and was like, hey, dude, what if you had this reality where you, all the things you suffered through? Nah, didn't fucking happen. You just live your ideal life, your dream world. If most people would say yes. I'm not saying everyone would be a guaranteed yes. I'm sure there are people out there that would say no. But if we're being honest with ourselves, the majority of people would accept that right off the fucking bat. But after playing through third semester and seeing all the characters and all their choices and what they wanted to do in the end after, you know, having all that information brought upon them, it does make you question the idea of if that's worth it or not and if it is even the right thing to do. So I'm going to briefly touch down on 
each of those characters, Akechi, Shido, God of Control, and then Maruki, and then give my overall thoughts of the theme of the game and how they compare with Joker and the Phantom Thieves as they go through the motions and their ideals and if everything was truly 100% right or was this just a battle of wills in the end or a mix of both. So I hope you enjoy this. This is going to be the finale to the Persona 5 Royal Review uh, series, final part. Uh, it was supposed to come out last week, sorry it didn't, I just needed a little more time. I've been actually playing the Trails of Cold Steel series, and I've been really obsessed with that, so I wasn't working on this as much as I wanted to, so it's my fault, me being selfish and lazy. Uh, digging Trails of Cold Steel, by the way, we'll probably talk about that once I'm finished with all the games. There's four, I'm like, I j I'm on the intermission part of Cold Steel 2. But yeah, anywho, let's get into the, the review here. So just starting off with Akechi, I just want to say, again, the small adjustments and additions they added to Royal uh, did indeed go a long way, and I feel like that is especially the case with Akechi. We talked about it a bit in part two of the review series, where I was going over all ten playable party members, and Akechi, of course, was one of them. Uh, excuse me. But I wanted to go in a little bit more detail about it, because... I just feel like it, thinking about it especially over the last few weeks coming up to this part of the review, I definitely appreciate Akechi as a character a lot more than I did in the original Persona 5. Uh, in the original Persona 5, like I said, I kind of saw him being the traitor coming. That doesn't make it bad storytelling at a point, it depends on the execution. You can see a twist coming or some kind of reveal coming, and it can still be really good and really impactful for the storyline if executed correctly, you know what I'm saying? Um, people always think like predictable storytelling in certain degrees or aspects uh, hurts the story or makes the story automatically bad, and that's not necessarily the case. Because you can have a story where a twist or some kind of reveal you didn't see coming happens. And that reveal could be fucking awful and ruin the storyline. And it can go both ways. You can have a reveal or a prediction or some kind of twist that you definitely can see coming from a mile away. And when it happens, just the way it's executed and the way it's done and how it impacts the characters and the storyline as a whole at that point can be fantastic. So even though you knew it was happening, you still get that like, oh, finally it hit. And that's what I was waiting for in Persona 5 when Akechi revealed himself to be the traitor. Now, I'm not saying it was bad in the original Persona 5, because it 100% wasn't. It was still really cool to get that reveal and see the maniac Akechi actually was, because that's what I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting Akechi to be a fucking psychopath. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting him to flip personalities from this honest, cool boy. I, I thought he was going to keep that personality and just kind of be a little more villainous with it, just kind of like that pompous asshole bad guy. And he still kind of keeps that first somewhat, but it's mostly like this maniacal evil bastard of a man that Akechi is when he is revealed to be this traitor and uh, the villain a part of alongside Shido's plan. That I was like, ooh, okay, so that hit for me, but that was about it. That was kind of like more of a shock factor reveal because he's like totally changed his personality and the way he speaks uh like i said the line that will always stick with me is you're all just pieces of shit <laughs> looking at each other's wounds and i was just like yo this man is fucking crazy but that was about it and then of course shido plays him 
Which is another thing I saw coming. I really didn't expect Shido not to know what Akechi was trying to do to some extent because Shido has been in the background throughout the entire game because he's supposed to be the big bad before the real big bad. He's he's the human big bad, the societal big bad before you face the, the godly big bad in the game. And um, I was like, there's no way he doesn't know. With all that power and money and influence he has, and the way he keeps tabs on everyone and takes them out of the picture if they are starting to show like, oh, they might be a liability or, oh, they're going to say too much and spill the beans. Like, he takes them out. There's no way he doesn't have precautions already set up for someone like Akechi. He was using Akechi as his fucking assassin, essentially. So he, you don't think he had tabs on this person he had going out committing murders for him of course he was fully ready to take a catchy out and so that's another thing i didn't see coming but one thing i always did i i felt i always pitied a catchy because we we knew the story of uh a catchy's mom uh marrying some dude or not marrying some dude having some kind of relationship or affair with a politician we didn't know it was shido as the story progresses you can kind of put the dots together and be like okay the dad was shido but um, you, you learn about that and how his mom eventually passed away. She was working hard for them and he was alone. And that's why he builds up that fake boy detective facade. Because um, not a lot of people have talked about this, but I was watching a video from, I believe his name is Manga Kamen. He was, uh, I'm sorry if I butchered his name, but he was doing a series of videos that was breaking down another video. I forget what the dude's name is. I think his name is Civit. <laughs> I've kind of like Loki snuck dissing throughout this review. But uh, he made a five hour review on YouTube of why Persona 5 is a bad game. Not Royal. This was before Royal came out. This was still a little before Royal came out. But um, it was a five hour review. And if you've watched that review and you've played Persona 5, a lot of his points were very fucking wrong. <laughs> like, not even like, oh, in my opinion, that was wrong. It was like, there was a lot of, like, things he was saying that was either misinterpretation on his part, flout-out misinformation, uh, contradictions. He contradicted himself a lot throughout his video, and I guess that happens when you make a five-hour video. You're gonna have a bunch of contradictions. You probably should have double-checked it. I digress though. It's 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 not a good review in my opinion. If he doesn't like the game, fine. He doesn't like the game, but you need to not dis <laughs> bring out uh, release this misinformation. So Mumaga Kamen was reviewing it. He did a couple of videos about it, and he was just breaking it down and tearing the video like down. I'm not saying he ripped them apart. Because I think he was doing it, you know, because it was just like, hey, a lot of this stuff is wrong. And he even said, like, look, if he doesn't like the game, he doesn't like the game. If you don't like the game, you don't like the game. Uh, Common even, like, says that there's a bunch of aspects in the game he didn't enjoy. But um, all in all, he really likes the game. And if you're going to make a review this long, at least be more correct and thorough about it. And... Where was I going with this? <laughs> um, fuck. Where was I going with this? Akechi. We were talking about Akechi. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, we, we learn about all that stuff about Akechi's past, and that leads him to being this 
That's what I was going with. So, Maga Comet mentions in uh, one of the videos where he's talking about Civet's dissection of Akechi as a character, because Civet said Akechi fucking sucks. Um, I, I disagree with that completely. But there's certain nuances that you wouldn't get from this game just because of cultural differences. And one of those is something I really wasn't too familiar with that I learned from this, that it's still kind of like this, there's this stigma or like, um, I guess you could say this, this stereotype or this, they look at kids who have a catchy's background and catchy is essentially a bastard child you know so uh a lot of i guess there's still like this a good amount of people in japanese culture who look down on people like that so Akechi was already kind of in a lower point considerably in terms of society because of that and his mom's situation it's alluded that she you know she might have done some prostitution or some other sexual acts with men or things of that nature certain things to keep food on the table and keep you know Akechi safe and so like the way his background was he of course he it was gonna look as if he he was shunned by society which more leads him down that path and i'm sure that's what leads him to like slowly like snapping over time because when Akechi kills people when Akechi is showing his real personality in battle he he loves it he lives in that moment he revels in it he fucking gets off to the violence and i think you know of course that's going to stem from that childhood and of course that's why he absolutely hates shido and wants to wants to destroy him is because of that and that's his whole path to revenge and he's a murderer and it's like he was doing it to get close to shido so he could take shido out that was his plan but he had a sense of enjoyment in it you could tell like he he was he was into doing what he was doing he had no problem with it he the the boy detective i don't want to say was a hundred percent of the facade because even during during third semester when he's talking to you normally when you guys aren't in the palace he still kind of has that calm personality about him he can still keep very composed he's more condescending when he's fully revealed in, in uh third semester definitely because you know he's fully open about himself but he still has that demeanor to him that 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 aura that air to him but when he's in combat it's he's just fully like kill mode and that's the true him and i think that stems from his background but um yeah it's all based around that and in that culture as well so akechi does technically fit a lot of criteria that would make him a phantom thief and you only get more of that context like, you get more of that context in Royal because he actually has confidant events. Uh, in the original Persona 5, his rank would raise as the story progressed. So he would, he would rank up as you play through the actual game. So you would learn little bits and pieces about him here and there as you progress through the story to get to know him more before you find out he's a traitor, before it leads to his end, da-da-da-da-da. And you can have a little bit of sympathy for him, which I did. I, I pitied a catchy in persona 5 but i was like i you deserve to die at the end of the day and i still feel that way about royal but i had a stronger opinion of a catchy in royal because of the extra context because i could go out and hang out with him and because more is revealed about his character 
like when he talks about his mom there's an actual scene where you guys are chilling in the 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 what is it the public bathhouse and he's talking about it and he goes into a lot more detail about his past with his mom and his and what uh what she was doing and how he she used to drop him off at the bathhouse when she was out late this and this and that you get a lot more context of Akechi's character as a person rather than him just telling you a bit of information and then leaving you're actually hanging out with Akechi and he likes competing with you he sees Joker as a rival and it even gets to the point where um the last confidant event you can do with him because from that point forward it's story stuff for the last two ranks for rank nine and rank ten but um when you get to his rank eight he he's like look i'm gonna be fully honest with you i hate you like he fucking flat out says he does not like you he does not like what you stand for and it's because you're so much the opposite of him which ties into the overall plan that the god of control had that was the bet between him and eeyore this battle against testing humanity where joker is supposed to be you know the person that rebelled against society to reform it and change it for the better and Akechi was that darkness in society, you know, committing those criminal acts for Shido and abusing his power to get what he wanted. Because they both had the power of the wild card. And it, that even goes into more detail in Royal than it did in Persona 5. I don't even think they, they insinuate that Akechi has the wild card in Persona 5. I think that's a, a royal thing exclusively to explain why Akechi had two Personas. It wasn't like robin hood evolved into loki and he could still use robin hood he literally had both personas um but there was a difference in why he didn't have more than two and why joker could have a bunch of them but he joker and him were these opposites they were both pretty smart they were calculated they had a uh, this sense of like they had a good charisma going about them they attracted people catchy being like this boy genius detective joker forming this team of various different people who join up for different reasons but for an ultimate like similar goal for the end game and they were kind of like the leaders of these of these aspects and they challenged each other and akechi hated joker because it's just like how is some criminal how is some dude on probation living in the fucking attic of a little coffee shop going to be able to challenge me i'm like this boy g i'm this detective genius i'm i'm the best and he hated that about joker but at the same time he couldn't help but want to continue to compete because it pushed him to his limits and it was something he actually enjoyed and got a kick out of he felt challenged and though he hated joker for who he was he loved the fact that there was someone out there that could actually test him and we know akechi is strong as fuck he was taking them on by himself and they were rolling what nine people deep at that point or eight people it was eight people with a catchy of nine uh, they had eight people with them and joker had the wild card <laughs> with more persona to use at his disposal like it, it's it's fucking crazy how powerful a catchy was and he could use that negative energy to influence other persona he was causing the the psychotic breakdowns he was doing all of this by himself under you know shido's command essentially and it took everything for them to stop akechi because that rage and that darkness drove him 
and he couldn't understand how after all of that he still lost and that's where like the idea of the wild card comes more into play which is why i like a lot of the development that happens in royal because it's pretty much said that akechi should essentially have the wild card just like joker because they're both competitors in this game which would explain why akechi can use more than one persona he has robin hood and he has loki but he only has robin hood and loki robin hood representing that false persona he put on in public for people to see him as this boy genius to gain favor and that's why he was doing that and the loki represented his hatred and that evil and that rage he had towards society but because of that and because he was alone and he didn't choose to let other people in or work with other people in an actual trustworthy way he worked with shido but he was trying to play shido and shido of course knew that um he could only have those two persona whereas with joker joker was more open to accepting help from others we see that with you know the other party members his confidants and he's able to gain persona under those arcana and more powerful ones if you choose to keep upgrading those confidants as you bond with people and learn from them and talk with them so while akechi had all this great and grand power alone and probably you know like as a single persona user was arguably one of the most powerful in that game in that in that part of the story they like in persona 5 joker had the advantage because he had this great power through unity and of course you know oh the power of friendship but joker still had a great amount of power because he could wield so many persona at once on top of having his friends with him so that's what gave him the overall edge at the end of the day and why akechi could not beat him and why akechi didn't understand because he couldn't understand the aspect of having people close to you increasing your strength he didn't he didn't trust like joker could and that's what made them so drastically different from each other and even though akechi was a murderer and all the evil things he he's done you know put a bad taste in everyone's mouth he still overall got fucked over deep by shido which is why they still wanted his help he would but he would have been a powerful ally in taking shido down he was like they were like we can do this together of course they probably would still want to you know have him reform have him turn himself in have him do stuff like that but overall they were like dude you deserve payback against shido as much as anyone else does and as joker especially can understand that because joker got put in the this predicament because of shido and his actions and that's why i like akechi a lot and we'll talk a, a little bit more about him once we get to maruki because there is the aspect of what happens in third semester just that certain factor of uh akechi still taking control into his own hands to the better end because in the situation where you beat him in shido's palace and the cognitive akechi shows up and oh no you know, of course he was going to get betrayed. And Akechi still takes matters into his own hands by helping the Joker and the Phantom Thieves get away. And, you know, pretty much fighting until the bitter end. He dies on that ship. He dies in Shido's palace. But he did it on his own terms. He didn't just accept Shido playing him. He made sure that Shido didn't 100% get his way by giving Joker and them a fighting chance to stop Shido. And... He, he died doing it in his own way and we see that again in third semester we see 
him saying like, look, nigga, I'm doing this shit my way. I'm not going to accept anyone's pity, handouts, their choices. My choices are my own. And that's why I feel like in terms of control, the antagonist trying to gain control of Ketchy is the one person that really did it. Uh, so I, I respect him. I respect him. We'll talk a little bit more about the third semester thing once we get to Maruki. But uh, let's move on to Shido. Um, I don't think I'll be talking about Shido as much as I will as I did a Ketchy. But Shido is an interesting dude because you don't see a lot of him until you really get to like the sixth and seventh palace stuff. But he's always there, and I feel like that was they did a good job at Shido's character because uh, one issue, especially like I've seen from other people talking about Persona Five. Of course, you gotta have to criticize it and give it some negatives. It's not perfect. It's definitely not perfect. Um, but one thing I agree with. Same thing I was talking about with the Palace Rulers. You don't get a lot of backstory about each antagonist and the Palace Rulers and details about them. Monorame is one exception, just because he's so, so, so tied... He's so, so closely tied to Yusuke, because he's known Yusuke since Yusuke was a baby. He took him in. So we get a little more context of Monorame because of that, that factor. And of course Futaba, but Futaba is a party member, so that's different too. Kamashita, you could say you get a good bit of context and background because he's tied in with what happened to Ryuji and An, but it's just more of like those evil particulars, like what makes him a bad person rather than learning about him as a character. Kanashiro, you don't really get much. Okumuro, you don't really get much. Um, Sai, another exception because we see Sai throughout the game too. So you get bits where characters, not all of the palace rulers, are essentially created equally in terms of development. But I'll counter by saying like what they lack in development, they make up for an impact to the story because Kamoshida is what kickstarts the first palace run, gets you on and Ryuji, and of course Morgana. In your party, you get your first palace run, you do all of that, you learn about the ideas of you know how people get their personas, the idea of rebellion and accepting your shadow, which turns into a persona. Uh, Madarami, we talked about that. Of course, we got Yusuke. But Kanashiro, it kind of put them more so on the map as people more so starting to believe the Phantom Thieves even more and more, which attracts Medjid, aka Futaba as well. And so you can add that in aspect into it. And of course, the police are getting more and more aggravated or like upset by the Phantom Thieves because it's just like, damn, these niggas are starting to do our job for us because of the whole Kanashiro incident. Then you have Okumuro's Palace, where they're more closely related to uh, Haru because that's her father. And of course, Okumuro dies due to Shido and Akechi taking him out because it's like, oh, this nigga's gonna spill the beans. Uh, so we gotta make sure he doesn't. And that impacts the story a lot because now the Phantom Thieves are really starting to question, like, fuck, are we, how we fuck up? Or, fuck, are we really making the right decisions? Psy, it all kind of led up to that point with Psy because she's been stressed at work throughout the whole, like, case with the Phantom Thieves, the mental shutdowns, the psychotic breakdowns. It's getting, it's starting to really eat at her. She's, she's tired. She's working hard. She's not getting any headway because of everything that's going on. Her and Makoto's relationship has already been strained, and now it's getting even more strained. So that she got a palace. Makoto already knew she she had one. She just didn't know like how big of an issue it was going to be in the future. So you you kind of have these aspects around the storyline, 
that give a little more context as to why you go to these palaces, why you do these things, how it's moving the story forward. But I will say with Shido, what makes his uh, especially, what makes his special is it's not just the fact that he's the reason why Joker ends up having to move down here for probation and go to the school and what leads to the start of the adventure. It's not just that. It's not just the fact that he's a catchy's, you know, long lost dad who is, you know, fucking trash and is murdering people. It's not the fact that he's just a big bad. It's the fact that he's always kind of been in the background leading up to that point. And then you're finally like, it's always been Shido. It all ties back to Shido. It always has. Because the principal was working under Shido and then... You know, due to his constant failures and not trying to figure out, or not figuring out who the Phantom Thieves were, and he was going to go to the police, he got taken out. Okumura was working under him, he got taken out. Madarame and Kaneshiro were talking about some dude in a black suit. Uh, they knew something that not everyone knew. Like, Shido's always been behind it. You see him on TV in the background of certain scenes throughout the story, talking politics. He's this up and coming politician. People like him. He's very charismatic in public. People are like, oh, he's fighting for the people. He's doing the real thing. But behind the scenes, he's he's this really controlling, manipulative dude. Uh, after the first palace where you guys go to that hotel and have the feast, you uh, more, you and uh, Joker go to the bathroom to uh, because you ate too much. And then him, him and his thug show up kind of push them out of the way and joker doesn't quite remember if that's the guy that got him arrested from the flashback when he was helping that girl not get fucking sexually assaulted by him but he kind of vaguely is like damn i i, I know this dude and him and ryuji get into it and the dude treats them like like they're nothing they're just these fucking kids why are they here get the fuck out of the way you know so Shido knows how to play that character. He is that kind of like stereotyped textbook politician where he's really charismatic and he's like, I'm for my people in public, but behind the scenes, he doesn't give a fuck about anyone but himself. And it's just like, don't cross him or you're done kind of thing. And I appreciate that the game did that because like I said, like it's not just the fact that, oh, this is why Joker's here. Oh, this is Akechi's father. You know, he's he's the big bad before the god big bad. Because you could have still had those aspects without him being in the background. And it still would have worked just fine. It still would have been like, oh yeah, it's Shido. Oh, it just happened to be this guy. It's all linked together. But the fact that they took the time to sprinkle him in, in the background of everything going on throughout the story as you're playing the game, you're not even really worried about this guy. You're not even really worried about Shido. You know of him, but you, you, you don't really care until... It becomes an issue of course you as the player you know it's him you you can see his face clearly enough in the little flashback cutscene that oh it's Shido but you know Joker and the team doesn't know so you're kind of waiting for that moment and it's that idea of like I said like you can predict a twist or a story event about to happen it's all about how it's executed and that was very well executed and one thing I can compare that to is um, Kira from Jojo's Bizarre Adventures part 4 now, it's been a minute since I talked about JoJo, so let me let me gush about JoJo's for a minute, especially part four. Kira is the main villain of JoJo's Bizarre Adventures, Diamond is Unbreakable. Uh, Yoshikage Kira 
works as a normal salary man in the town, not doing nothing really, you know, lives a normal life, goes to work, goes home, goes to sleep on time. You, if you've watched Judges Part 4, you know the speech. <laughs> you, you, you know the fucking monologue I'm, I'm referring to. But, behind the scenes, he's a fucking serial killer. <laughs> so, all this time memorial throughout the years, he's been killing women. Like, slowly, hidden in the background. And, I believe the anime counterpart of JoJo's, uh, of Diamond is Unbreakable, does this thing where they kind of just foreshadow a lot of future events that are going to take place as part four begins and one of those aspects is Yoshikage Kira. We get that opening scene of like the bloody hand in the tub, we get the scenes of in the morning at the table, we learn of something weird is happening, not everything is right. So as we're in that first act of part four, we're not focused on that idea yet. Kira doesn't become a player fully in part four until act two. But we get those certain little hints like, oh, what was that about? And it's not really addressed. Oh, what was that about? When uh, Koichi's in the library and he finds out, whoa, all these fucking disappearances. This is weird. And then it's just kind of seen as an afterthought later. But it was like, what was that about? There's a scene in the anime where during the peak of Act 1 where uh, Josuke is fighting against the uh, kind of, I would say, like final villain of Act 1 of, of Diamond is Unbreakable, Red Hot Chili Pepper. All the electricity starts going wonky in Morio, in Moro, Morio Town, and um, you see the back of Kira's head in a crowd of people. I, I believe that's an anime-only thing, but still, like it, the way they executed the build-up to Kira getting to that point where Koichi and uh, Rohan learn about this ghost girl in this mysterious alley in the city, and learn about her murder and learn that there's someone out there killing people and then we're introduced to Kira immediately after and he's just this average dude and right off the bat he kills one of the the, the players we know thus far in the story and that's when things really start to take off and it's just like he's always been there because that's the character he is he doesn't want to be noticed he doesn't want to be found out and I guess you could say that's different from Shido because Shido's really out there in the public eye. He's trying to become Prime Minister. But Shido is playing it off as him really working for the people, him really being charismatic and trying to act like he's this honest, pure character. And no one can really challenge that because since they, he knows about the metaverse and he's using the metaverse to his political advantage, it's really hard to stop him because he could just shut you down immediately. He's like, oh, we'll do this. Oh, we'll do that. Oh, you you want to spill the beans? You're dead. Oh, you want some power? Here, I'll hook it up for you. Let's do this and this. Now you're in on it. Don't cross me. Like, the police were in on it. Which is why Joker so easily got put on probation. It's clear to see that he wasn't in the wrong, but because Shido had so much fucking pull throughout the country, it was... Joker had no choice. He's lucky he even got put on probation. So I, I feel like that's one of those things where it's just like, damn, we knew it was coming. We knew the buildup to Shido was coming. But the way they pulled it off was really good because it's it all leads back to Shido eventually. All the things they've been doing all eventually just lead back up to Shido. Now they can, you know, clear their names because they either, they're not the ones who have been killing people. They can get Shido to confess 
and they can get Joker cleared of his charges and get him off probation, and they're done. And Shido is the type of character, like I said, it's clear that his idea of control is just ruling the country. Like, he, he wants to be prime minister, he wants to run shit, and he's using the metaverse to his advantage for that cause, like, gaining power through that control. And they were even, like, working on ways of using the metaverse to essentially, like, have some sort of small-scale mind control over people so that he had even more influence. And eventually, I'm sure that would have... He would have attempted to try to spread that across the world. It's not only just the country of Japan. I'm, Japan was probably just, you know, one of those first major steps for him. He becomes Prime Minister of Japan. He has all that power. Boom, he starts spreading from there across the world. And who was really going to be able to cross him at that point? If Joker and the others hadn't stopped him, who was going to stop him? And humanity would have fallen for his pride. And because that that's the sin he was. He was pride. And um, that, that would have been a bummer. And that's why his palace was also uh, a cruise ship. Because as you're cruising, as you're on the big-ass ship, you're in like what seems to be like the flooded ruins of Japan. All these buildings are sunk in the water as you're in on this boat just going through it smoothly because he sees himself as the captain like this captain that's going to steer japan out of like this destruction in this darkness into the right direction and we don't get a lot of shido's backstory of what led him to want this level of power and control to to this extent that he would make this whole kind of corruption this dark behind the scenes thing of murder and blackmail and all this shit going on like we don't know why he was brought up to this extent but i'm sure it started from maybe like a good intention and then he just kind of got power drunk off of it and it's just like well i could do this if i want to or i could do that especially when the idea of uh, cognitive science came into play and the discovery of the metaverse which is due in part to society creating the god of control through their own desires which we get to but that's that's another trigger for it you know it, that all leads back to the god of control uh so shido would have been able to do this if the metaverse and the god of control hadn't existed in the first place but his idea of control is kind of the most straightforward uh definition we have for it the idea that like this power is everything like i'm going to run shit and if you cross me, if you have anything to say, I'll just take you out. Simple as that. There's there's no, there's nothing to it. And it's not even like, oh, I'm doing this for everyone's own good. He's like, oh, I have to steer this country in the right direction. It was very selfish of him. He He's definitely probably the most selfish palace ruler. Because he didn't care about anyone else but himself. If someone's going to get sold out, he was just going to kill them. He already planned on killing several people once he became prime minister. Him and Akechi were discussing it. He was like, Akechi was like, shouldn't we wait till after the election? He's like, the sooner we have these problems out of the way, the better, you know? He was ready to get shit done. He was going to take everyone out that already knew. So all these people that were living the good life from working with Shido didn't even know they probably were targets. They were probably disposable. Even Akechi, 
he even planned to have a catchy taken out after he got elected as prime minister. He couldn't have that loose end of this assassin that worked for him going into the metaverse and killing people. He, he couldn't have that as a liability. He, he's going to take that, take them out. He had no plans of bringing people up with him. He was going to use them and get rid of them. And so as you're fighting him and how he's, you can hear his speeches throughout the palace on the loudspeakers of him talking about, I'm going to bring this country into the right direction. All that jargon, all that shit he's talking. It's, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. And if he really believes he's destined to steer the country in the right direction, then you can tell his mind has just been totally corrupted and flooded with this delusion that he's the guy for the job because he's not doing anything for the benefit of the country. Everything he was doing was for the benefit of himself, which is why it's so satisfying to finally get to him and beat him. That, that fight is really cool. And even that fight showcases how he uses people because the first part of his boss fight, he has like this lion and it's made of like, it's essentially made of like people, like his supporters, they're, they're holding him. And it changes forms, like it has like a flying form and then has like this pyramid form that's like a big ass shield. And it's just these formations of the people. He's using the people as a shield. And it's kind of similar to Akumaro where he had like his robots, like his minions, like his, his employees doing the work for him. But the difference being is once all those employees were out of the way and it was just Okumura, he was nothing. He was nothing without the workers he put through essentially damn near slave work. But with with uh, Shido, he was using people as stepping stones to get ahead and then taking them out. He already saw them as disposable. I mean, Okumura saw them as his people as disposable, but he also saw them as replaceable. Uh, Shido knew sometimes you had to take matters into your own hands. He wasn't just some weak dude with uh, this knowledge hiding behind people he could use. He was strong, which is why he probably had so much influence on people in the first place for them to join up with him, because he had like that strong personality and will and influence, which led to his shadow self being powerful. Because after you take him out in that first part, he gets off those, those people that you beat down, rips off his shirt, he's shredded as fuck, and he just fights you by himself. And he's fighting, you know, eight people. Four at a time, of course, but he's fighting eight. He's fighting all of you, single-handedly. He doesn't really have a transformed, distorted boss form. He's just really shredded and throwing hands. That's all he's doing. And then I believe, uh, this isn't in the original game. I believe this is the royal version only. There's technically, like, a third phase to this boss fight. Where after you get his health down to a certain point... He does an attack that wipes away the that cuts you off from the rest of your party. So it's just him and Joker. And he gets even like kind of bigger and he's like purple and nasty looking. And he's throwing out high powered magic attacks and high powered punches. He's not holding back anymore, and it's just a one-on-one -on -one between you and him. And again, it's the little things in Royal that I really appreciate because this was so fitting of a thing. Because Joker got put in this position because of Shido. And the irony of it is, Shido had him arrested to get him out of the way. It was like, you fucked with the wrong one today. And Shido might have been able to even have this nigga killed or fully thrown in jail. But he didn't see him as a threat. 
big enough for that, so I guess that's why Joker got lucky enough to even get put on probation. But because of all of that, and Joker was able to essentially, to an extent, move freely, get his persona, start infiltrating palaces, and led him back to Shido, Shido kind of helped <laughs> in being like a stepping stone for Joker building up the power to defeat him. So Shido kind of spelled out his own defeat that night when he got Joker arrested. So I like the fact that you have to face him in the end one-on-one -on -one because it's like poetic justice. <laughs> just, you you lay his ass out and you're just like, woo, claiming victory. And the breakdown Shido has, both Shadow Shido and the real Shido, um, the, the like fucking panic that he has because he's like fuck they're gonna change my heart i'm gonna confess everything we're all fucked all his like closest little aides and scientists were like oh we're all fucked because we're all there with him we can't have him so the beans so shadow shido is just like no i'm supposed to be the one that steers everything the steers this country right so the treasure you're stealing was a fucking ship steer steering wheel in the shadow world of course in the, in the metaverse his palace treasure was a steering wheel and everyone's like how fucking pretentious can you be? Like, this man was just evil. Shido was just evil. I don't know what corrupted him to this point, but this, it was just some darkness. I feel like he just got too deep into the political world, kind of like a, like a Yoshida, uh, uh, uh Toto, yeah, that, his name was Yoshida, um, the, the Sun Arcana in Persona 5, uh, like a situation like that where the idea of corrupt politics going on but to just a much bigger scale and he's like shadow shido's just like no you can't do this and i'm just like look at all of that he was talking such big shit looking down on everyone as if they were nothing to him and now that he's lost he's begging for his power back meanwhile real life shido is just like fuck 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 what do we do and they had this new drug that could essentially temporarily destroy and collapse a palace. But they didn't really know the side effects of it. And Shido, without hesitation, is like, fuck all that. We need to kill these kids. <laughs> because if, if I'm going down, we all going down. So, also if his palace collapsed, and I'm assuming like they didn't fully take his treasure with them outside of the palace, then he would have been fine because they didn't take his treasure. And then they would have been dead. And then the palace would have reformed. <laughs> So it's just like, fuck, dude. So they're racing against the clock trying to get out of there. And I gotta say, I gotta say, uh, everyone should be giving a big thank you to my boy Ryuji. Ryuji Sakamoto out here with the sprint, with the running, with a busted leg. Still managed to run across the ship and get the lifeboat ready for everyone. So they didn't die in an exploding palace fire. So everybody say thank you, Ryuji. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just saying. That's beside the point. And even then they still make it out. They find his real treasure was like this. I think it was like a pin for like a, a shirt tie, like for like a little government pin thing. I forget what it what it was exactly. It was a like a pin or something, right? Let me let me Google it really quick. I know what I'm saying it is, but I could be saying it's the wrong thing so let me get specific pacific jesus christ <laughs> shido treasure let's see 
Oh, it just led me to the wiki for the first link. Let me just scroll. It might just say it on like basic info. Apologies, I should have known this off the top of my head. Why is my computer moving so slow? <laughs> there we go. That was weird. Masayo Shishido. Please scroll. Please scroll. <laughs> I just need to know what his treasure was. Um. Damn it, dude. <laughs> They're just going through the whole walkthrough. Hold on. I am sorry. <laughs> I slowed everything down. Treasure. Legislator's pin. Shido's treasure is his legislator's pin, which takes the shape of a golden helm. Uh, shape of golden helm's wheel floating above the ship. This is reflected of his warp view that he is the only one who can steer Japan in the right direction. So, like I was saying, like he has this distorted idea that he's the only one that can steer Japan into a better future. But he's not really, it's not really about Japan, it's about him as a person and his own selfishness. After the defeat of his shadow self, the real Shido takes a medicine to enter a suspended animation in order to kill the Phantom Thieves and prevent the treasure from being stolen. But the thieves escape in time and Shido begins to repent for his actions. The pin itself, however, has no monetary value, leaving the thieves unable to sell it. So, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so that's that's what I was talking about. So yeah, a legislator's pin. And I'm a, like I said, we don't really get any context or backstory to what led Shido to having these distorted ideals. But I'm sure he might have, in his early years, had a better, more thoughtful ideal of how he could help the country and change things. And do all that good shit. But at the end of the day, I'm assuming over time he became more of a this idea of a corrupt politician. And his views and ideals became much more distorted than he originally had hoped and planned for. Leading him to, you know, the eventual discovery of like, oh, the metaverse and all of this and how I can do this and that. And then he just started not to care. He just had this one goal in mind, tunnel visioned out for it and left a trail of death in his wake and so that all leads up to the point where shido confesses and even though he does this publicly for everyone to see people don't really seem to care and that leads us to the next villain who in the original persona 5 was the true villain the i guess in persona 5 royal he's still the true villain he's just not the final villain but the true villain all along was the god of control, Yagabugaguga. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't even think he deserves to have his name pronounced correctly. Fuck him. And fuck Mementos as a palace, okay? Fuck that place. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the god of control next. Because this leads into everything. Because without the metaverse, without him exist, without the God of Control's existence, Shido wouldn't have been, been able to use the metaverse to his advantage. So he might have not even gotten this far. Akashi wouldn't went on a murder spree. So it all leads back to this idea, this game, the God of Control came into existence, and this challenge he put upon 
between he made between him and Igor. The challenge that he rigged between <laughs> between him and Igor that uh, brought upon this game Joker was originally destined to lose, but due to the actions of his rebellious spirit, all the bonds he had made through people challenging everyone else to rebel against this idea of society, God of Control was defeated. But let's talk about the God of Control a little bit. Throughout the game, you're guided by Igor, or what you think to be Igor, <laughs> throughout the uh, the entirety of Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal. But that's not the case. We find out later in the game that this Igor was never Igor to begin with. This was a highly powerful entity, a deity in disguise known as the God of Control. Like I said, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name correctly. Um, you can look it up. Fuck this dude. He doesn't deserve his name to be pronounced correctly anyway. But <laughs> as you play through the game, he represents uh, the increase of your fool's arcana, which is pretty much Joker's arcana itself. So, so as this ranks up over time, you're going to get access to be able to hold more personas at a time. So I believe you start off with only a max of six slots, and by the end, once you max the arcane out, you get 12 slots. So you, you get double that. So boom, boom, boom. That's fun. And it's not something you have to worry about grinding for. It just happens as the story goes on. But that's beside the point. Um, what's interesting about Igor is stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes with Persona. I believe around the time i think it was after persona 5 was already released or persona 4 was already released i'm sorry don't quote me on this uh my first persona game was persona 5 but uh from the information i was looking up and talking to my friends i believe the japanese voice actor for igor had passed away after persona 4's release sometime after that so they had to recast the voice actor for igor and something interesting I was more finding out that I found out more recently was kind of like a more so for the Japanese version of the game for the the Japanese dub uh, that's cool for longtime Persona fans and it's kind of like an Easter egg or like this final farewell or a nod off to it is the fact that at first when you hear Igor's new voice if you're just a person into Persona you uh, wouldn't really think twice about it just because, especially in the Japanese version, um, that, oh yeah, Igor has a different voice actor because the old one passed away. And I believe they even changed the voice. They And I guess people assume they changed it in the English dub just so it could kind of match up hand in hand. So people weren't really thinking twice about, oh, this Igor is fake. They're just like, oh, he has a different voice actor now. <laughs> but uh, it kind of plays well into the storyline. So maybe that's why they kind of wrote it the way they did with this Igor having a different voice actor. Because it's not really Igor, it's the God of Control. And that's why there's a different voice. What's cool that I recently found out is in the Japanese uh, dub of the game, they were able to take old voice lines, I guess, old voice recordings from the original voice actor for Igor, and use it for when the real Igor came back into the story of Persona 5 for the Japanese dub. So a lot of people got this, like, pleasant surprise of hearing the original Igor, even though the voice actor for him had already passed away. So that was a cool little, like, little Easter egg drop. And, um, of course, in the English dub, 
it was i guess this was the original english dub voice actor for igor i don't know for sure like i said persona 5 is my first game so maybe that's why they intentionally gave them different voices because it worked double for you know fitting the story as well as nobody's really going to think twice about it because like i said the original voice actor passed away so it's just like oh they just recasted him da 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 so it was, it was it was interesting it was definitely interesting to to see that or to hear that and find that out so i thought that was really cool and how it fit the idea of like oh this character isn't the real igor so throughout the game joker doesn't meet igor until the end of the game and even then you barely see him at that point because in the original persona 5 you get all that stuff done you meet the real igor you do the final boss thing and that's it the metaverse is gone your your rehabilitation has been fully completed and that's it you don't you don't hear from them again and then it's just the rest of the game as normal you guys don't have your powers anymore and that's that but we get a little bonus in the third semester where things aren't quite done yet because of certain factors but we'll get to that when we talk about maruki so the god of control was actually born from the desires of the people that and the metaverse which is why the metaverse the metaverse is essentially described from what little information morgana has on it as everyone's palace this is the collective unconsciousness this is where everyone can tap in essentially so it's everyone's palaces palace it's the city's palace this is what that is in the metaverse and why it's depicted as a subway because people take the train all across japan all across the city da 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 da, da. and why it looks like the little map for it when you keep going down deeper and deeper into the depths of mementos you're underneath the city in this crazy subway system because that's where it takes place underground essentially so i thought that was really nifty <laughs> uh i don't remember for sure you can tell me i'm wrong if if i am but i used to hate <laughs> going into mementos a lot of the time because i hated the repetitive mementos track the bum 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 dun, 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 dun. like that's probably like the only song in persona 5 that i don't really care for and it just gets so repetitive and I hate it. Now I could be wrong, maybe because I didn't spend as much time in Mementos in the original Persona 5 as I did in Royal. I spent a lot of time in Mementos and Royal collecting the stamps and doing all that different stuff before having to do the final palace, which is Mementos. But um, I believe that's the only song that plays through every level of mementos in persona 5 i'm pretty sure it is i'm pretty sure no matter how deep you go until you reach the depths when it's like the actual palace on your way for the gut to face the god of control i believe that is the only music that plays and i fucking hated it i was just like oh my god make it stop <laughs> it's too much but in royal every time you go down to uh I guess two sections the color theme changes monsters get stronger layouts get deeper and of course uh and then the music change so you got a different track every two layers so i was just like oh this is nice now that could have happened in the original persona 5 and i just can't remember it because like i said i didn't spend as much time in mementos in original persona 5 
And since I didn't do that, like, I only recall a lot of the original Memento's music, the initial one. But if I am right, and that's something new in Royal, props to Royal, because, oh my god, so refreshing to hear new tracks every few new floors. Oh, sorry about that car driving by, by the way. But, um, no, I dig it. So, <laughs> that was another side note I just wanted to break in, because we didn't talk about Mementos a lot in the last, uh, when we were talking about all the palaces. So I just wanted to say that. They also added, um, a new character. What is his name? I actually really like him. What is his name? What is his name? What is his name? Sorry. Uh. Fuck. What is his name? It's like in my head, like like it's on the tip of my tongue. What is this fuck? I like this character too. Uh, let me see. 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 Um. Do 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 do. I'm sorry. Uh, what is his name? So his name is Jose. <laughs> My fault for forgetting the name. Uh, yeah, his name is Jose. So you have Jose in there. He's kind of collecting these flowers or these other op these weird objects to understand humanity better. I think I might want to do a little separate topic about Jose specifically, just because um. He's not really involved in this whole antagonist thing in Mementos. But I wanted to bring him up too because since I brought up Igor, there's that whole idea of that people believe after Persona 5 Royal, the next Persona, like Persona 6 or whatever comes out once we're past this point, uh, that they're going to retire Igor out of respect for the voice actor. This was kind of like the last time they were going to use Igor. And they were going to have kind of like a new, what is it? ruler of the velvet room and that person might ended up might end up being jose because jose said he was working for somebody he was doing this research for somebody but he doesn't tell you who but he also says there are plenty of gods out there observing humanity so i was thinking well what if it was a uh, philemon from the original like the first two persona games like what if he's coming back or something like that and he or he's having jose observe humanity in order to train him and build him up to be the next ruler of the Velvet Room so he has adequate information about humanity in order to uh, better observe it and understand it and guide the next wild card holder. That'd be interesting. But that's just a side note. So back to the God of Control. So Mementos exist as this deep subway system due to, you know, that being kind of like a commonality for everyone within Japan, like, you know, trains, subways, all of that. And it's everyone's palace, essentially. So, the God of Control was born from these desires that men had, like these wishes that they had. And that's why I say, even though a lot of the time, Futaba's palace 
could look like it resembles Sloth in a lot of ways. I would point it more towards Wrath, just because with Mementos, uh, I think it fits the theme of Sloth a lot better in terms of, like, when, when you actually get into the, the real palace, when you get into that last palace of the original game, it's now the second to last in, in Royal if you get the third semester. But when you go inside and you look around and you're observing things, you see a lot of people in cages. You see a lot of people in cages. The design layout for this palace is supposed to be a prison. It doesn't look like an actual prison. It's more like abstract and mementos like like an old school JRPD dungeon. I'd say it's closer to the idea of like what a lot of older dungeons and the older Persona and uh, Shin Megami Tensei games look like. But it, the theme of it is a prison. It's supposed to be a prison break. Even like the, the shadows that uh, are lurking around as you're going through, sneaking around them and ambushing them, they're dressed up like prison wardens because, uh, because they're, they're guards. You're supposed to be in cells. And everyone's just kind of waiting for the day of reckoning, including the shadows of Kamoshida and Shido, like all the people that you previously conquered their palaces. The only people that you don't see there are Futaba, because she's with you in the party, uh, Okumuro, because he died, and Sai, because you didn't actually take her treasure. She changed her heart due to your influence, but you didn't actually steal her treasure to do so. But all the others, they're, they're up in their cells, chilling, awaiting the Day of Reckoning. And at first you're just like, oh my god, he has all the, what's keeping all these people trapped in here? And as you go deeper and deeper into Mementos, into the, the, the palace portion of it, you're coming to find that it's not that they're being in prison here, it's more so the fact that they chose to come here. And one bit of proof that like kind of alludes to the situation is at one point when you I think it's when you first get to like your very first rest stop in Mementos as you're traveling through it normally or like a certain rest stop you get to. If you know what I'm talking about if you play Persona 5 and you go through Mementos there's rest stops so you're on like a layer of it and as you're going through you'll hit a floor where there's nothing to explore it's kind of just like a, a train platform a subway platform. And there's like a little bench you can sit at. Here you can save your game. So if you're in between a layer of mementos and you don't want to like have to leave and go back to the beginning until you finished exploring the floor so you can move on to the next part, you can save right here. It's kind of like your, your checkpoint, essentially. And these become really handy when you get to the deeper layers because there's a lot more floors within a layer once you get to the lower, lower layers of mementos. So it, it comes in handy. But as the team is observing the train, you can see cognitive people, or shadow people, or whatever you want to call them, waiting at the train platforms to get on the train to go deeper down. Now, you as the players, like the Phantom Thieves don't know how deep Mementos goes, they don't know why these people are getting on these trains, and they don't know where these trains are going. But these people are voluntarily getting on the train. They're waiting for it to show up. They hop on, and it continues to go down deeper. And it's suggested that, like, well, what if we just drive down these railway tracks or hop on the train to see where it's going? And it's decided against that because we don't know exactly what lurks deeper in Mementos. So they decided safer to keep going about it the way they've been going about it, 
which is going through the randomly generated floors of each layer to get deeper themselves. But later, once you get to the palace, you find out where these people are going. This is the collective unconsciousness of people. These are people's shadow selves going into the train station that is Mementos, hopping on the train, riding it all the way down to the last stop on the station, which is the entrance to this palace, essentially, the Mementos Palace. And then they voluntarily get into these cells. They're voluntarily going into them. As you're running through the palace, back to what I was going to say before, you'll see people in like kind of like these solitary cells hanging around just over the ground or like the the deep empty abyss below and they're just hanging in these cells chilling like it's like a little box and they're sitting in a chair and it looks like they have something attached to them that's draining them of energy or blood or something and if you talk to them these people will be like confused as to why you're wandering about they'll say like hey what are you doing outside of your cell like hey why are you out there why are you even fighting it like, what's the point, dude? You should just kick back, relax, and wait for the inevitable. It's all going to be over soon. Like, hey, man, you're kind of being annoying just trying to fight it. Stop prolonging things. Like, just sit down and let it happen. Like, these people are really content with accepting their fate, whatever this fate is. The Phantom Thieves don't know exactly what's happening yet. As they go deeper and deeper down, though, they keep running into these people in their cells, and they're just like, yo, what the fuck is this? Even with Kamoshida and Shido and all of them, it's just like, huh. And we see that there's a big cell door that's, like, super isolated, and it's just like, what is this about? Like, who is this prisoner? And you find out Morgana was actually born there. <laughs> and he doesn't know exactly how he knows this yet his memories are just slowly starting to be pieced together he's starting to figure out that oh i was born inside mementos like somehow and we still don't quite have the origins linked up yet we still don't know the truth that behind that door trapped in there is igor and igor had created morgana through the hopes of humanity so morgana isn't exactly human he is an entity uh, created by Igor, so he's a servant, he's an attendant of the Velvet Room, essentially. Created by, created from the hopes of humanity to guide Joker and the rest of the team to the truth. That's why Morgana exists, but his memories were lost due to certain circumstances. And then with Caroline and Justine, they're actually one person, the true attendant to the Velvet Room that works under Igor. I believe her name is Lavenza? Uh, she's the real attendant, but God of Control split her into two to uh, cut off access to her memories. And they return into like the prison warden theme that uh, you go to every time you're in the Velvet Room. It's also um, a little fan theory that certain people have that originally the Velvet Room is shaped kind of like a prison and this judgment cell and has different cells because you were originally going to take the the palace rulers that you defeated here like this is where they were going to end up going instead of going into like the cells and mementos uh that you see them in later because you were going to judge them for their crimes there in the velvet room which would make sense because i believe there's a certain amount of cells in the initial rooms of the velvet room there's more we see deeper in uh later in the game but in that initial main room where Igor's sitting at the table with all the cells around him, that was originally where 
every person you essentially reformed was going to go to complete their rehabilitation and that you yourself were going to play the role of a prison warden before the God of Control tampered with the game and made you the prisoner and made you have to go through a rehabilitation. Which would explain why there's more cells than one. Because you're the only prisoner, so why would there be more than one cell? So that that's a theory, though. That's not confirmed. People have been talking about it. I found that interesting to think that originally that was going to be the plan. That was going to be the theme. Joker plays like this prison warden conforming criminals to change their ways and ex uh, have a change of heart and confess their sins and crimes. That would have been cool. That would have been a cool little concept. So good on them. Um, but, uh, yeah, as you keep going deeper and deeper, you, you like I said, you keep seeing people that are very like uh, accepting of whatever fate is coming to, for them. And then you reach the bottom of Mementos and you see this giant gold cup. Or the it's not gold yet. It's like this giant cup, like a like a chalice, essentially. And it starts speaking. It's like some people refer to me as the Holy Grail. Some people refer to me as this. And you find out that him and the fake e the, this cup and the fake Igor are one and the same. And the Holy Grail is just the God of Control, which makes sense in the theme of things because I believe in a lot of uh, lore and references. The Holy Grail is supposed to, you know grant people's wishes their deepest desires to all who like earn its power that's one of like that's like the main thing in fate too isn't it like the winner of whatever happens in the little battles in fate every time there's like the holy grail wars they get a wish from the holy grail or something like that i haven't watched fate in a really long time and i've only watched like fate zero and most of fate stay night so you can quote me on that if i'm wrong i need to jump into the fate series there's just so fucking much <laughs> But yeah, that's that's what the Holy Grail is, and it's was created by man itself. Like he wasn't just there, and then humanity depended on it. Humanity desired this. They desired to just have this, their wishes fulfilled. They desired to be content with sitting in cells. Even when you get to the bottom and you see the Holy Grail, the room you're in is just surrounded by hundreds of thousands of cells. Maybe not that many. But a lot of cells. There's like thousands of cells. All like circled around the room. So as you're battling against the Holy Grail, you don't know its real name yet. Um, he is whooping that ass. Uh, you don't know it's fake Igor yet either because you haven't lost yet technically. So at first you're just like, what is this Holy Grail thing? It, it seems really sudden, but then it all starts to tie together as you play so as you're battling it the first time, you can't defeat it. And you're dealing damage, you could be doing some powerful attacks, doing crazy shit, and you're hurting it. But then it uses a move, I believe it's called Will of the People. And the people in their cells will yell at you to stop. They don't want you to hurt the Holy Grail. They're like, don't do this. What the fuck are you doing? And they give their wishes and their desires, they give it all to the Holy Grail, and the little veins that are attached to all the cells feed it power and recover its health. Drastically more health is recovered than you can ever deal damage. You are not meant to win this battle. It becomes a, a fruitless struggle. <laughs> and as you're battling it, and as it's getting fed by the will of the people, it starts to glow more and more gold until it's like this fully shiny golden grail cup and 
he fucking essentially wipes you guys. He knocks you out. And then you all wake up in the real world. And this day of reckoning has begun. Where technically you have failed your rehabilitation, even though it was rigged for you to lose in the first place. But now, because of that, since so many people's desires are being fed to the Holy Grail, the cognitive world, the meta, the metaverse, is being fused into reality itself. So they're starting to see all the weird nastiness, the vine uh, tendrils and weird shit coming from the metaverse, or it's coming into the real world. It's also raining like red. I don't know if it's supposed to be blood or if it's just red, but sorry, I dropped something. But people are ignoring it as if it's nothing special, as if it's nothing like particularly crazy. And people are like talking about the Phantom Fees, but they're like, oh yeah, I almost forgot about them. I almost forgot that they existed. It's because they're fighting against the Holy Grail that people are choosing to ignore them. So now faith in them is wavering. It's as if like they never existed in the first place. People are like thinking up reasons of like, oh yeah, it's probably this and this. And it was a rumor that spread. It was nothing more. It was a rumor. People are losing faith in the Phantom Thieves. And as your popularity drops, it's as if you start to, to cease to exist. You weren't real. So the Holy Grail deems it so. Like people, people have no faith in you. They have faith in me. So why are you here? So you start to fade. You start to vanish. One by one, each of you, each of your party members starts to fade away. You feel weak. You fall to the ground. As it's raining this red mist, and no one seems to fucking care. Only you guys. And no one, no one even notices you guys falling to the ground and struggling to get back up as you fade away one by one. Finally, with Joker fading away last, reaching his hand out to the sky... As you see the fan site popularity poll, whatever percentage it was at before, drops to zero and you vanish. So you've failed the bet, essentially. The bet between Igor and the God of Control. You find yourself back in the Velvet Room in the cell. And the fake Igor is telling you that you, you failed. You failed to reform humanity. You weren't able to do it. Now their day of reckoning has come. In which, you know, the God of Control is going to take care of this shit because this is what he believes the people have chosen they've chosen this life of like eh we'll put it in your hands you know and that's why i feel like it this palace more so represents sloth than futabas because it's only exi it only exists because people choose not to fight for themselves because people accept what the society is they accept the status quo they don't try to fight back and though joker and everyone else tried to fight back no one believed in their cause so they as the holy girl got stronger they only were getting weaker that is when you know you still have your power of rebellion you're able to get your phantom thief gear up even though you're in the velvet room and caroline and justine fight you and as you're fighting against them, they, they're slowly realizing this is wrong. They're like, why would Igor ask us to kill him? And as the battle progresses, it's you have no chance of beating them. I know they're a secret boss fight if you're doing their confidant, but I'm talking about this story battle. You cannot beat them. And um, as the battle continues, they start to remember more and more about themselves. And then they remove their little eye patches and fuse back into Lavenza. This is when things start going full circle. The God of Control 
is revealed to be the fake Igor and the Holy Grail, and he offers you a choice, which leads to the second the second bad ending. There's three bad endings in Royal and Toll because the third semester adds another one. This is the second bad ending, technically. You can take the God of Control's offer to let him keep doing what he's doing, let him have society live in this fake world they choose to have where he has control over their lives, essentially, and the Phantom Thieves can keep on being the Phantom Thieves because, hey, do what you feel like. This will make you happy. And you won't have to suffer. The Day of Reckoning won't have to come. You can just do this. Now, if you accept that, you get the second bad ending. You can look that video up. It's pretty interesting, you know? Society looks like it's normal again, and you see Joker in the crowd, and he smiles as he, you know, walks by. But you don't want that ending. You want the good the good shit. So, of course, you're going to say no to this man's offer. He's like, all right, well, fuck you, then. <laughs> so then, you know, you get real Igor back, and, you know, he's breaking down little details about the situation, how... Essentially, he and the God of Control had a wager about humanity. And Joker was on the side of that humanity could be reformed, it could be changed for the better. You could rebel against this idea of people trying to have this power and this control. Whereas the God of Control bet on its destruction, where it believed it couldn't be changed. It believed that these people will always fall to themselves, to their own sins which is what each palace represented, a different sin. And, of course, people fell into their own sloth of putting their faith and their desires into the Holy Grail, which is the God of Control. And that was represented by Akechi. So, you guys were rivals, by ch not j just by chance, but by destiny. And you would think that's kind of annoying, like, ah, you were pitted against each other by destiny. But you guys were so naturally, you had a natural, uh, what is it? Chemistry. Joker and Akechi do have a very natural chemistry between the two of them because they are so opposite. So even though they were supposed to be used as pawns in this game, they really took a lot of it into their own hands. Like I said, Akechi taking the, his own fate into his own hands right until the very end. And Joker rebelling against everything that stood against him, no matter the odds. Even though the game was made with the intent of him losing. The God of Control was going to seal Igor up, split Lavenza in two, and the Carolina Justine, so he had control over them too. Luckily, Igor was able to form the, these hopes and desires of, you know, the human hope into what is Morgana, which is why Morgana was used as your guide. He gets all his memories back, and he's ready to help you out as you go up to challenge the God of Control again. You're in the city, you're still in your Phantom Thief gear though, people notice you, people are seeing you, and they're slowly starting to have more faith in you, and you can see that, uh, do you believe in the Phantom Thieves, like the little fan site bar, is starting to go up again, because people are like, oh yeah, the Phantom Thieves, you know? And it's not quite, a, it's not quite enough yet, but you'll also notice that every confidant that you've maxed out prior to this, is going to be also aware of the cognitive world fusing with the real world. They're going to notice too. Like Futaba or uh, Sakura is going to uh, Sojiro Sakura is going to notice um, Mishima. I think Sojiro and Mishima will notice regardless. I think even if you did master confidence out, 
they just already automatically know they're kind of like story locked into it but all the other confidants that you don't have to max out if you don't want to if you've maxed them out before this point in the game they'll notice too and you'll get little scenes with them like what the fuck is happening like tied to Kemi for example I maxed her out in both games because she's great um, she'll be like huh like they'll notice that things are weird and like as this red mist falls certain people are just starting to up and vanish entirely and things are getting weird people are starting to panic people are starting to get worried they're starting to realize yo what the fuck is going on and it's up to you guys to stop this so as you're running up to back to where the god of control was into that big coliseum like room that's now infused into the real world you're fighting more angelic like creatures because this is the god of control is a god so you're, you're fighting these godly angelic like creatures that you would see in the bible during like the apocalypse these really dark nasty demon things from different mythos and you have four sub bosses which are different kind of like archangels like Gabriel and Michael and, and shit like that and once you beat all of those odds you finally get to the top you get geared up you get healed up you get ready to go and you fight the god of control again but this time you're ready for him you know that he has this ability that, that will of the people move that can heal him so now you have to figure out a way to stop that so as you're fighting him and distracting him you go back to the classic tactic of, uh, tactic of choosing a party member to go up and cut the little veins that are connecting him to the people in their cells so that he can't recover I I think I chose Morgana my first time playing, but in Royal I chose Ryuji. And I was like, Ryuji can do it. I believe in him. And he fucking slapped that shit and cut the veins down. And then now with the uh, Holy Grail unable to recover, you can fight it off and actually beat him. But wouldn't be a J JRPG if it was that easy, now would it? <laughs> so at this point, you, you've beaten the Holy Grail, you think everything's good and done, and this is where the true final boss fight happens for against the God of Control. The ground starts shaking, the sky starts to open up, this platform is raising as you're going up in the sky, and it was revealed that the Holy Grail is essentially just kind of like the head of the God of Control itself. And as it comes up from the ground, you see it. And it's really weird looking it looks entirely synthetic nothing about it looks real it looks mechanical almost like a mechanical fake angelic god like thing and i haven't gone too much into detail researching like uh information about you know the design of it but to me i believe it's supposed to look mechanical it's supposed to look like synthetic or man-made because he was made by the will and the desires of the people so essentially he's kind of like this false god he's this man-made god that is now like this is what they wanted they wanted control they can't think for themselves look every time they do look what happens it's destruction i have to do this so now it's you against uh the god of control in its truest form and as you're battling it it has these four different arms and it has different abilities it has different weapons it has like a gun I believe like uh, I believe it has a sword, a gun, a bell, and a book. And then as it's doing these certain attacks, each orm will do like uh, attacks that represent uh, certain sins of the seven deadly sins. So I think each orm probably does like two attacks, and then one orm does like one. 
but the longer you go through the boss battle, the more of these sins you'll encounter. You you can go through the boss battle without encountering all seven. I believe in my original Persona 5 playthrough, I <laughs> encountered all seven of them. But uh, in my Royal playthrough, I only got I only saw like four or five because I beat him. I got his health down to a certain point to move into the next phase before then. But you you have actually attacking him, and then you have attacking the horns, and you want to take take down the horns because of their abilities that they can inflict the status effects that they can inflict on party members based on the sins. So they can become a problem and get in the way of the battle. So you want to take the horns out as soon as possible and de deal damage directly to the body. Uh, you have to be careful too with your AoEs because certain orms are resistant or they'll null or reflect or absorb certain attacks, stuff like that. So you have to know what uh, to pinpoint what weakness to take advantage of with each orm as you're playing through. He'll also revive orms with certain amounts of health in a certain point in the boss fight. He'll have a move where he's going to fire a very powerful fucking laser cannon at you. So you have to stop the orms, you have to deal damage. So you're, you're literally fighting a god. You're battling against a god. And it gets to the point where it looks like he's almost going to die. And then the game, you know, cutscenes you to the point where it's just like, nah, nigga, you're not beating him. And I appreciate that. Me and one of my roommates are talking about it, too. I hate games where you do a boss fight and you win the fight. And then it goes to a cutscene where it's just like, oh, god, he's too strong. We lost. Where, like, just do the thing where, like, it's an unwinnable fight where he just beats you. Or the, in the middle of the fight, it gets to a, you get his health to a certain point, and then it cutscenes to like, oh, you you stand no chance, which is what this game did. You don't beat him in the actual final boss fight. You get his health to a certain point, and once you get his health to that certain point, you're just mainly watching a cutscene and you've already won. But you didn't beat him yet, so I kind of appreciate it. It helps the flow of story, is what I'm saying. So he's knocked you all down. You're struggling to get back up. And it's like, oh man, maybe he is too powerful. And as this is happening, all the confidants that you've gained over the course of the game, Sojuro, Mishima, anyone else, you know, they're they're in the crowd down below watching you guys struggle to fight and defeat this god to free them. Everyone's starting to rebel. Everyone's starting to believe in the Phantom Thieves now because of this. And as they put more and more faith in you, the fan site bar goes up and its percentage goes past 100%, it shatters, like, peop everyone believes in you at this point, everyone has their faith in you, everyone is rebelling against the norm, they don't want to be stuck under the god of control, which then causes Joker's persona to evolve into its second stage, this is his tier 2 persona, where it becomes a mythological trickster, so, like I said, Joker's, is Joker's persona evolutions are, are very weird, because they're locked behind story stuff like you can't even get sentinel as an actual playable persona just normally until your second playthrough of the game but in the story this is when you get him so and then of course his tier three uh role is dlc only which i think is stupid you should be able to obtain it at least during the story of third semester but that's beside the point um so it evolves uh our sin evolves into sentinel which is supposed to be kind of be like uh, the angel Lucifer before he, like, he fell, like some representation of that. So everyone's just like, oh wow, like, it's like a devil, like, you know, you need you need a demon, you need something evil to fight against a, against a god. Like this, 
the God of Control sees itself as kind of like this heavenly end-all, be-all entity. I am the God. This is what humanity wanted. This is what I desire. So it takes the ultimate rebel, the ultimate, like, anti-angel kind of thing, this demon, to stop it. So, which shows, like, you know, people get demonized for rebelling, but they're doing what they feel is right, and that's what the Phantom Thieves are doing. So they literally say, fuck your control, nigga. <laughs> and you hit them with a sinful shell, uh, a bullet packed with, you know, all the sins that can destroy even a god. And Sentinel pulls out his giant pistol, and Joker pulls out his gun, fires, and you shoot right through the God of Control's face. Clean ass hole through it. It's, it's a really cool scene. I love seeing it again when I was playing uh, Royal. I was like, oh yeah, I love that shit. That was so epic. And you kill it. It just, he does his last little words, and he collapses and dies. <laughs> So as that happens, the metaverse starts dissolving away and breaking away from the real world. And now it looks like even Morgana's going too, because with the metaverse gone, Morgana was a part of that. So he's just like, I have to go too. And when he got his memories back, he knew it was going to happen, but he didn't tell them because he didn't want to worry them. So they watch as the metaverse vanishes, they lose their abilities and their personas, and Morgana vanishes as well. And everything just seems to go back to normal, like nothing happened. And, you know, our team's, you know, a little sad, a little broken down, but at the end of the day, they know they did what was right and that they won. Now, in the original Persona 5, what happens from here is, uh, Sai is talking to you in uh, Town Square, pretty much, like the, the central, like the busy district place, and is telling you, like, hey, we can get Shido busted and we can do all this and this and this and this, but you're going to have to testify, which means you're going to have to admit that you're a Phantom Thief, and you're probably going to see jail time. So even though Joker did everything that was right, and reformed all these people, and saved humanity, he's still going to have to go to jail, which is a bittersweet thing. Now normally in the game, you do testify, you end up going to prison, your friends fight to get you out of jail, you eventually get out of the prison like a few months later, you have your Valentine's Day event, and then boom, 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 conclusion to the game. This is where things are different, and this is when we're introduced to our true final enemy. The enemy after the god. The person who is taking matters into his own hands now that everything has been set up for him. And that is Maruki. Now, if you finish Maruki's confidant before, you have to finish it before a certain deadline or you can't max it out. So, that's how you get access to third semester. And little other bonus things uh, so you you want as you're playing the game keep in mind in Royal that you want to max out Maruki's confidant Kazumi's confidant and Akechi's confidant as soon as possible sometimes they will be date locked and you're gonna have to wait until a certain date to progress in them as soon as they're available again immediately go after them as fast as possible and meet these deadlines Kazumi's is the latest and it's the easiest to do. You only have to get her up to rank 5 before December. That's easy as fuck. I believe with Madoki, you have to get him to rank 10 before like November something. And then Akechi, you have to get him up to rank 8 before November or October or something like that. I, I can't remember for sure. But Maruki's is like the one you're going to want to get to as soon as possible. Because you have to max that motherfucker out. You have to get it to rank 9 before that deadline and then it'll story automatic to rank 10 but that is how you get access to the third semester so if you did unlock the third semester 
things are different. So I will do that, com- have that conversation with you where you're probably going to have to turn yourself in and end up going to jail. So as this happens, Akechi appears out of nowhere. He's just like, that won't be necessary. So Akechi pops up and is like, I'll testify. You know, I'm the one that was doing the murders. I was the one that was doing the dirty work. I will suffice over Joker. So you're shocked. You're like, how is Akechi here? How is he alive? What is going on exactly? What is this twist? I didn't know when third semester was starting. So at first I was like, oh, did they change it? Did they do it so that like if you maxed out his confidant before the deadline and the storyline, you can get a catchy to live? That's what I was thinking at first because I didn't know exactly when third semester was starting. I thought it was going to go through the story motions as normal and then there would be a third semester. But this third semester has started. Once you beat God of Control, third semester has started if you did the requirements to unlock it. So you have a lot of questions. You're not going to get answers right away. So Akechi goes to prison in your steed, <laughs> in your stead, and you get to hang out with the homies on Christmas and shit. So yay! And the New Year's hits, and da 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 da. It's it's general stuff, just general hangouts. Kazumi's there as well. And January begins, the New Year's begins, and that's when things start to get weird. Welcome to the trippiness of the third semester. Now I wouldn't really consider Maruki a villain. He is definitely more of an antagonist, and especially a misguided antagonist, I would say, due to his circumstances that brought him here. In a way, you can almost say he very much so relates to the Phantom Thieves and the idea of how he got his persona, the idea of rebellion for him, and what he saw was right, but eventually, you know, ended up leading to these twisted ideals, and due to what happened on the Day of Reckoning and Joker and them defeating the god of control he was able to essentially take power so what happens with the third semester is uh maruki essentially takes control of the metaverse in a way and starts building upon that and using his ability maruki's past you find out throughout his confidant and think and other things but to sum it up essentially what happened was one day uh, way back he was studying cognitive science in the metaverse back before the events of Persona 5 take place he had a girlfriend in college who he was going to marry by the name of Rumi and uh, they went over to her parents house to visit and they found that the house is being burglarized or attacked and her parents were killed in that uh, that situation and she herself was also attacked by these intruders Due to her showing up and being there, wrong place, wrong time. She wasn't killed, but she definitely got hurt. And, of course, she was emotionally scarred by that event. There's a lot of trauma going on. I mean, her parents died during that event. And Maruki was there, and he also feels partially responsible because he was there. And he could hardly do anything to help Rui or her family. And from there, things kind of only went downhill from him. You find out... He was doing research, but something happened on cognitive science and something happened and he lost funding, he got shut down. And so that leads up to the events that led him to the school, which lead into the third semester. So as you're playing through the third semester, you start noticing things are very weird, very different, for Joker at least. Um, There's this dude that sleeps in the bed with you in, in the attic and everyone seems to know him except for you and you're like who the fuck are you and they're like dude are you okay 
Then Futaba shows up with her mom, so Wabaka's alive. Uh, An and Shiho are hanging out, even though Shiho changed schools after the events that happened with Kamoshida. Ryuji's on the track team, and his leg's not busted up, and he's even got the chance to get a college scholarship due to the track, due to his, uh, his skills in the track team. Yusuke is under Madarame's tutelage, and Madarame is actually proving to be a good sensei this time. Makoto and Sai's dad is alive, and their relationship isn't strained at all. The sisters, I mean. Haru's dad is alive, and their relationship is great. They're actually scoping out places for, to, you know, make more coffee shops. It's weird. Everyone's, like, pain and trauma is as if it didn't happen to begin with. It's as if none of that occurred. Even though, of course, they remember the palace stuff. It's as if we're living in a perfect little dream world. And they even have a song to go with that during this portion of the game. And you're the only one that seems to think things are kind of weird. I mean, Kazumi kind of does too, but she's kind of just rolling with it at this point. And her dad shows up and you actually meet him for the first time. And he says something, but it's kind of blocked out or like edited both in text and in like voice and you're like what was that and even Kazumi kind of seems hesitant about it too but it's ignored so later in the in this portion a little a little bit later guess who rolls up Akechi so Akechi's supposed to be in jail yet he's not so you and him go somewhere private to talk and he's like look I know you notice things are strange here too which leads us to you know Myself, yourself, Akechi, and Kazumi going into the previous palace that wasn't fully formed yet where Kazumi originally got her persona awakened. When you go to that point, that palace isn't done for some reason. It's undercooked, essentially. It was very weird to see something like that back where that stadium was going to be. And originally I thought maybe it's because the stadium wasn't done being built. And I kind of still feel like it's kind of like that too, but it's also for different reasons why the palace wasn't done. It was still in its early phases, it was still in its infancy because Maruki hadn't quite grasped a way to do what he wanted to do. And that's when a lot of truths are revealed. You find Maruki to be the palace ruler. You find out what happened with Kazumi and her sister uh, prior to the events of Persona 5. I believe it was only like a year prior to that. And in Royal, I believe they even, it's not in the original Persona 5, I believe it's only in Royal. Maybe he said it in Persona 5 as well, and they just kind of ran with it to use to their advantage in Royal. But in the beginning of the game where you're driving through the gridlock uh, with Sojiro, Sojiro mentions all the accidents, and you think it's, you know, due to the psychotic breakdowns and mental shutdowns, which it kind of is. And he mentions an accident where a young girl got killed. That girl was Kazumi's sister, or should I say Sumire's sister. We find out in this flashback that Kazumi is actually the shyer, uh, more modest, kind of nerdy, reserved twin sister, Sumire. And her sister was Kazumi, who was much more outgoing than her. And one day they were walking back from track practice, or not track practice, I said track, wow. Gymnastics, gymnastics practice. And... Sumere was feeling down on herself because she felt she would never be as good as her her sister Kazumi and Kazumi's a lot more outgoing she's a lot more like positive kind of like the Kazumi we've gotten to know throughout 
Persona 5 Royal thus far. And we see Sumeri running from her regret. She's thinking about all this stuff. And she's distracted as she runs into the street. And a truck is speeding by. Kazumi jumps in the way, pushes her out of the way, and gets hit by the truck. And is instantly killed in this accident. And this is the trigger that caused Sumeri's dramatic like breakdown. And these memories come flooding back to her. And she has a breakdown right then and there too. Uh, Maruki then takes her from you guys, sends an enemy out to fight you, and you and Akechi have to team up, and you do pretty good. You even get your own showtime with him, and Akechi's fucking crazy, but it's a cool showtime nonetheless. And then more hope seems to be lost as uh, Maruki essentially gets away, and you roll, you essentially have to leave the palace because you're not stopping Maruki at this point, and now he has Kazumi in his grabs. So you and Akechi have to retreat and think of something new to do. While you're trying to think of what you want to do, Maruki has given you time to make your decision. He doesn't want to force you into this dream world he's created. And this is one of the reasons why I think Maruki isn't actually like a villain, he's more of a misguided antagonist. Because he wants you to decide for yourself. But even though this, even though he does that, it seems to almost be a contradiction as well because he has sort of, uh, in a way, lightly forced people into these situations or coerced them into it, but he's giving you this choice. So pretty much as we fast forward through this to get to the point, Maruki had awakened, partially awakened his persona. Now you would think this is kind of a weird outlier, but we've seen that we saw this with Haru too. At first she only partially awakened her kind of rebellious spirit and her persona user abilities where she couldn't really use her persona but she could change into her rebellious outfit and then later when we go deeper into the palace and she fully accepts what what she needs to face and overcome she fully awakens her persona milady with maruki he awakened partially awakens his persona but in a much more different manner maruki seems to have a very powerful persona and that might be due to the strong desire he wished for, whatever it might be. Maruki is definitely a powerful outlier, but his persona seems to have the ability to change cognition itself or to change memories and realities. So after the accident, we find this out when you actually go inside his palace and see like all these little flashback videotapes that really detail what Maruki went through and how he ended up in the position he's in now. But Rumi was in the hospital. Maruki was trying to help her. He said they apprehended the criminal that, you know, killed her parents and what happened with her. But she's still traumatically scarred. Like, she dramatically scarred. The trauma is way too much. Even when she thinks of Maruki, she starts to freak out and panic because it reminds her of that day. It's not Maruki's fault. It's just as if him being related to that event because he was there triggers everything else and it freaks her out. And Maruki was like, I, she, he wish, wishes Rumi didn't have to suffer through all that pain. He wishes he had the power to help her to change that. And he hears the faint voice of his persona calling out to him, wanting to help him. And they, his persona is partially activated in which he can't really fully manifest it yet. And I think that's mainly because 
he's not in the cognitive world. So that's why his persona was only partially manifested, because he didn't have a link to the metaverse yet. But he could still use its ability, its ability to change cognition. So he accepts the, the offer, this help of this persona, and it changes Rumi's cognition, essentially. It shifts her memories around to, for her to think that, oh, this traumatic experience never happened to her. Her parents died when she was really young and she's always just lived with their grandparents and she goes in and out of the hospital because her health's always kind of been poor. So she doesn't have to go through that trauma anymore. But also in exchange for that, certain things had to be erased when her memories got shoveled. One of those things was the memory of Madaki entirely. She no longer remembers who he is. And that is because in order to shuffle the memories around for her to forget that pain and for her to move on and not be affected by it anymore, she had to forget who Maruki was because he was so deeply tied to that event and that trauma. Even though he didn't directly cause it, since he was there and he's one of the only survivors besides Rumi herself, she directly links that to him. So in order for her cognition to be changed fully, she had to forget about him. And while Maruki is hurt by this, he accepts it because he feels like it's for the best. It's better for her to be happy and not have to live through that pain she, she had to live through. And if that means he can't be with her anymore, then oh well, that means he can't be with her anymore. And this is where we see Maruki start to formulate his plans. Uh, we also see a flashback that he lost uh, all... Uh, what is it? all funding for his cognitive science research and we find out later that it was Shido who actually stole a lot of his research to use it to his advantage to get access to the metaverse and start doing what he was doing so even even then at first when you think Maruki really doesn't have a, uh, any ties to any of these other characters he has a tie to Shido because he lost his funding he lost his a lot of his life's work be, because of Shido and his meddling and then he lost Rumi, even though he was able to, you know, help her forget. And slowly over time, he was just kind of isolated himself, but he wanted to continue studying cognitive science in the cognitive world. Then we see the flashback of what happened with Kazumi. And I talked about this in her character, when I was talking about her character, with her having to accept the trauma that her sister died and that it really wasn't her fault and that she has to accept that pain to really move on from it. She can't just forget it and act like she is Kazumi. But in this flashback, Maruki is essentially having kind of like a therapy session with Sumere. And Sumere is, you know, she wishes Kazumi was the one that survived. It should have been her. She was the better one. Why did it have to be her that had to die and not, and not uh, herself? And she wishes Kazumi was still around. And Maruki uses his ability to shift Kazumi's or to shift Sumeri's cognition into thinking that she is Kazumi. And so she starts acting like that. And we find out that no one's ever really acknowledged her as Kazumi except for you. Because when you pick up her little book, you see the name Kazumi in it. So you assume her name is Kazumi. And if you pay attention to the game, none of your other party members ever call her Kazumi. They call her by her last name, Yoshizawa-san, because, you know, they're they're not on a too strongly a formal basis. Only you really hang out with her prior to those events. 
So you're, you've been the only one calling her Kazumi. So low-key, you've only been feeding and strengthening that idea of her cognition of her being that sister. Which is why she's so much more outgoing. But it's also why she struggles with kind of like this depression throughout the game that we see. She has her low points because she's not doing her best in gymnastic competitions. She's there as like a special honor student at the school. But if she doesn't start doing better, we see that uh, the, t the higher ups are going to take away her honor status. And she's going to lose certain privileges. People are looking down on her. People are like, oh, she thinks she's so special. So she has to go with all these struggles, even though she believes she's Kazumi. Because at the end of the day, deep down, she's Sumere. She has her own issues to struggle through. Which is why, originally, her confidant only goes up to rank 5. Because once you uh, she gets her memories back and you're going through third semester, you have the opportunity to max her confidant out to rank 10. Where she's actually her real self. The real Sumere. And that's how you max her out. You can romance her, which I did in this game. I romance uh, Sumere. And I thought it was great. I thought she was a great character for that. But that's all because of Mariki's influence. He did that because he's like, isn't it better for her not to have to feel that pain or that guilt that's going to scar her for life? And at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter. She has to accept that to truly move on from it and to truly heal. He was putting like a band-aid over a gaping wound essentially because Sumere still had to go through different like depression in different forms due to the academic struggle she was facing academic and athletic struggle she was facing throughout the game with gymnastics and whatnot because she wasn't her sister even though she was trying so hard to be which is why she was failing in the gymnastics meets because she was trying to be someone she essentially wasn't and it's only when she accepts herself that she starts to improve as a person and as a gymnast and all these other aspects about her character. She becomes better for it. She becomes stronger for it. And that is, and only then is when she truly starts healing. She's not fully recovered, but she's better. And that is what you need to realize when that question is asked about would you be willing to erase the bad things that happened to you and just accept this happy dream world? Is it worth losing the pain and suffering because you can heal from that and become better and you learn from it? That's what life is all about. And the reason why I think Maruki is such a misguided antagonist and not a villain is because his heart really is in the right place. He is a good person. He was never putting up a front when you talked to him. When you were doing the sessions with him for his confidant, when you talked to your party members about their problems, um, you get this sense that he was being truly genuine because he was. He is a really a thoughtful person. He is a kind person. He wants what's best for everyone. He understands that everyone goes through their own kind of pain. This is also how he was able to create their ideal worlds through talking to them and having conversations with them. Uh, when he was able to take advantage of the power from the metaverse to essentially amplify his ability to control cognition, he was able to give everyone their dream world because he had already talked to them about their issues. So everyone had what they wanted in that world. But as you're taking a break before you go back to the palace to rescue Kazumi, you have the opportunity to talk to all your party members throughout the, this portion of the game. And you can see you know, how well they're doing, how happy they are, but you have to break them out of this dream because it's not real. 
because at the end of the day, they came out better people from coming through that suffering, if that makes any sense. They're not really them. Everything they fought for, everything they tried so hard to achieve, everything they did would be would mean nothing if Joker just left them in the dream world. So Joker has to break them out. Joker has to help them realize that. So as you talk to them, you kind of just leave them alone after talking to them, let them sort it out for themselves. You go back to the palace with Akechi. You try to save Kazumi. Kazumi's still not ready to accept the truth quite yet at that point, and you battle against her. And this is where we see even more kind of abilities that Maruki's persona has. He's able to take control of Kazumi's persona essentially and use it to fight against you and that just shows how strong Maruki is especially with the amp of him having control over the metaverse because he can essentially control other people's personas through his cognition control which is fucking wild and as it looks like all hopes about to be lost who pulls up your homies Ryuji jumps out runs up jumps out blocks the full force of the attack that was about to destroy you guys so it's just like props to ryuji i didn't know you were that fucking powerful jesus christ this is without a tier three persona yet <laughs> like, and the rest of the team shows up and you're able to break off from him and maruki gives you until a certain date to make your decision he's like look i won't stop you if you want to fight against me but if you don't if you want to accept this fate and you have made your decision and you want me to help you guys don't do anything by this day if you do want to stop me then i guess we're gonna have to fight but i'd rather not fight another reason why i say maruki is a flawed antagonist he does not want to fight he wants to reason with you he wants you to accept this world because he's doing it to help you. It's in a sense with Shido, whereas Shido was like, I'm going to steer this country in the right direction. But deep down he was being selfish. Maruki is trying to help everyone not feel pain, to help everyone live their best life essentially. But at the same time, he's going the wrong way about it and it is ultimately hurting everyone because everything you suffer through will mean nothing if you just accept this fate. And that's the thing you really have to ask yourself. Is it worth letting go of all the triumphs you've went through from the tragedies? You know, what doesn't kill you make you strong. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger in that kind of sense. You know, I've personally gone through a lot of struggles. Like I've gone, I've talked about it before. I've gone through, you know, depression. I have a lot of anxiety. I still do. Uh, I still go in and out of depression sometimes. I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, but you know, you never really get over that kind of stuff. Uh, I get nervous, I get shaky, I overthink a lot. I've recently had like a major death in the family a few months ago. I talked about that with my Uncle Tim. And you know, at the end of the day, it's just, that's life, that's a part of life. And I've been understanding that a lot, especially over the course of the last, I wanna say three or four years. Uh, I've kind of grown to understand that there's no way you can go through life without feeling any kind of pain. And if you go through life without feeling any kind of pain, you haven't really lived, you haven't truly felt anything. I'm not saying people deserve to feel pain. I'm not saying people deserve to suffer. But I'm just saying 
it you can you can survive you know we're all in the same boat at the end of the day everyone hurts everyone takes losses everyone has to say goodbye to people everyone has breakups you know god forbid i ever break up with my girlfriend now but you know even in high school i went through breakups i went through pain i went through suffering being hurt being felt sorry that was extremely loud um and i'm sure a lot of you have too i'm sure a lot of you have gone through a lot of dark times there's people out there who've had it worse than me hands down but at the end of the day we've all experienced some kind of pain what matters is what we do after that can we come back from that because i know my uncle tim wouldn't want me to wallow in pity for the rest for forever after you know after he passed he will want me and my family to be happy and we've been doing our best to do so since then you know we shed our tears we grieved we went to that funeral we did all of that and we still remember him to this day we always do we always will but he would want us to be happy he would want us to be living our lives and that's what i mean it's just like you're going to suffer but you're going to come out stronger as long as you keep going and what maruki was doing was taking that away so if you've struggled through stuff like that if you suffered and you just are like oh yeah let's just erase all that and go back what was the point of the suffering and i know some people might say well aren't you contradicting yourself because with dragon quest 11 with act 3 you do get to go back in time to stop the destruction that leads to act 2 at the end of act 1 and also save veronica from dying at the end of act 1 from saving you i would say the difference between that and this is persona 5 this choice represents a choice of what is best for humanity as a whole and what is best for you as a person to persevere through whereas with dragon quest it was for the good of the people that you stopped the dark lord it wasn't like suffering because a lot of innocent life was lost through that event through that evil through that destruction and it was also a very taxing choice because the hero had to let go of a lot for the greater good for his destiny you know you get to go back and save veronica but it's not just veronica a lot of people died in that destruction from when uh from when the the enemy <laughs> uh i don't i don't want to go too much on a tangent on dragon quest but a lot of people lost their lives and i one thing that really sticks with me from that part of the game i'm just gonna say this that makes it really different is that was a more world change that was something that shouldn't have happened you know like that evil shouldn't have done that he destroyed the the world tree he was destroying life in the world and not only did veronica die someone very close to you in the party but like i said one thing that really sticks with me is you go to a certain back to a certain city veronica in serena's hometown and a couple had recently just had a baby and when you get in there they're celebrating the birth of their child this and that when you go there in act two after the whole destruction thing you find out that that baby passed away and it just had me think when you were going back in time for that act three portion to stop that from happening 
I thought about that child. That child didn't even get to live their life yet, you know? It was just born, and that family had to grieve that dead son. And yeah, you know, of course, that's a pain you can move on from, but it was such a necessary chaos and destruction. With Maruki, it was these events like, you know, life goes on, regardless of Shido being a piece of shit, regardless of, you know, Akechi committing those murders. Life was still going on, and this was touching on different themes and ideas like if you had the power to control cognition like that would you just erase everyone's pain and as the hero you you didn't lose the memories of that pain when you had to go back like you still remember everything that happened in that previous timeline you're just going to change things because you had the option to and it was for the better of the world so i believe it's a different balancing act but off that tangent and back to maruki like I said, you, it would be for nothing. All the suffering and pain and the sacrifice you you put yourself through would be a waste of time, essentially, if you just were like, eh, well, fuck it, let's just have this dream world. You know? You, you have to accept what life throws at you, and that was the harsh reality that the third semester brings to you. You could have fallen to the struggles like Maruki. Maruki, you know, he couldn't take it anymore. And I don't blame Maruki for that. You're, he's only a person at the end of the day. He was only a person. And he went through a lot. And he had to give up a lot. You know. And ideally with Maruki, I mean, if like people went to him to have their cognition changed for certain things, I can see that being okay. I don't think the Kazumi thing was healthy. The Kazumi Sumeri thing. She needed to accept that her sister was gone. And she needed to accept that her sister would want her to be happy and live her life. That was something, but you get what I'm saying, right? But Maruki was trying to enforce this ideal of, like, everyone deserves to be happy. Everyone de It was like a infinite Tsukuyomi kind of thing, like, from Naruto. Like, everyone deserves to dream well and happy. But at the end of the day, it's not real. See, that's another thing. With Dragon, with Dragon Quest, that was real. You, you changed things. But even but with Persona 5... It's not even real. It's this thing made by Maruki's cognition-changing abilities. And we come to find out the reason why it got so powerful was because during the Day of Reckoning, Maruki could see what was going on too due to the fact that he had his persona partially awakened. So as he was seeing that happen, his persona could fully manifest itself. And he was fully able to come to the realization of what he needed to do. So when the God of Control was killed by you guys when Sentinel used Sinful Shell, Metaverse was free to take over. So Maruki was able to essentially amplify his power because there was still this faint link between the Metaverse and the real world being connected even after you killed the God of Control. It would take some time for the world to, the world to essentially realign. So if Maruki was using his influence of the cognitive world to pretty much change everyone's cognition to you know their dream world they had a certain amount of time before this this effect would be permitted if they did nothing before the shift was full on it would be too late and there'd be no going back they wouldn't be able to stop essentially the reality Maruki had created but if they could take his treasure destroy his palace and stop this from happening entirely then things would go back to as they were before Maruki took control, after the God of Control fell. So, that was the deadline. And, fun little fact, the deadline 
for this palace was February 3rd, and I believe that coincides with... I think it was like Rumi's birthday or something like that. And... So the, the fight was on. So also, you know, you get, you get the chance to speak with all your other party members as you're making your way through Maruki's Palace. And we'll talk about little details of Maruki's Palace in just a second. But um, you can talk to them to get their tier threes and they essentially apologize to you for, you know, falling into that fake reality. Because you didn't. Because he wanted you to make that choice because you had such a strong relation to him throughout the whole game if you did so confident of course and he wanted you to accept this dream world because in your dream reality this is what it would be all your friends being happy essentially and Akechi being alive that's another thing that we'll talk about before that uh the boss fight discussion and um what was i going with that as you talk to them all they apologize for their weakness they understand that it doesn't just end with, you know, reforming society, being all the nasty adults, because even though they rebelled so hard and fought so hard for what they believed in, rebelling and being the Phantom Thieves, they so easily accepted this false reality and threw away everything they fought for, and they felt like they were weak because of that. But due to your help and your words and the bond you shared with all your confidants, they were able to make the decision of like we have to let this go this isn't right this isn't real we have to stand and fight you can't just force this ideal world upon people regardless of how nice or how gentle you're being about it and they had to let go because they realized they were better people for the suffering they went through and that's how you get your tier threes so i just wanted to touch down on that again i already talked about it when i was talking about the characters but i wanted to Bring that up again since we're talking about Maruki's Palace. So as you're exploring Maruki's Palace, um, you see a lot of things. His It's essentially like a lab slash kind of like a rehabilitation center for him enforcing a dream ideal world on you. And you get to certain parts. And it was really shaky for me to say Maruki is a misguided antagonist. Because there was one point in the game where I really leaned towards him being a villain. And the only reason why I go back on that is because thinking back on it, he really did have a good heart. He wasn't being too strongly selfish. He was being selfish, but he's only human. You can only, you gotta be a little bit selfish. But it wasn't like Shido levels of like, he didn't give a fuck about anyone. Because if he didn't give a fuck about anyone, he wouldn't even try, have tried to give you a choice and time to decide on if you wanted to fight him or or let him, you know, create this world. He would have just been like, okay, I'm gonna have to fucking stop you guys then. But he gave them that option because he cared. He wanted them to make their minds up. But there's one portion in the palace where you have to go through a series of these survey questions. And though they tell you, they tell you there's no wrong answer, there is a wrong answer and it's based on Maruki's bias and you can you can tell it's based on Maruki's bias because there are wrong answers there's clearly wrong answers if you think like Maruki so for this you have to think like Maruki um, and it's questions like what if you know and this is where a little bit of selfishness is sprinkled in which is, which is what I was leaning more towards him being a villain because he was kind of forcing this idea of control 
And like I said, he gently does it. He kind of gently coerces you into coerces you into thinking like how he thinks. Because the first question was like, oh, you, your friend gets carried off by a group of shitty-looking people. Do you, A, go after them and try to help your friend but risk yourself and your friend getting hurt? Or B, go look for someone, like, you know, an authority figure to bring you help. But in the time it takes for you to do that, your friend might be hurt. Now, neither one of these is really a bad answer, right? Like, thinking of it as a normal person in the sense of there are no wrong answers, neither one of these is a bad option. They both have their risk, but they both have their merits. According to Maruki, there is a wrong answer, even though the they tell you there shouldn't be. The wrong answer is going after your friend to help. Because in both situations, there's a chance that your friend can get hurt. No matter what, there's a chance that your friend is going to get hurt. Either you go and help and it doesn't really work out and you and your friend get hurt, or you go to get help, but you're, in the time it takes, your friend might be hurt. But the reason why going to get help is the answer that Maruki feels is right is because at the end of the day, what is going to cause you the least amount of pain? You personally, what is going to cause you the least amount of pain? Because this is what how he's thinking. He, doesn't, he wants to make this world where nobody has to suffer or nobody has to go through anything. So at the end of the day, if someone's going to have to get hurt, why should it have to be you, you know? So the best option is the option that gets you out of danger. And I'm sure people would think like that, and that's why they would pick the answer B. But there's also people that would pick the answer A for certain reasons, you know? So there technically isn't a wrong answer, but according to Maruki, there is. And it goes on like this. It goes on and on and on like this. What is the correct thing to do? What is the correct choice? It, and it's and it's like you you find out that if you pick the wrong answer it leads you to a room where a shadow's just like oh we're gonna have to forcefully you know they're, they're gonna have to rehabilitate you you're gonna have to accept treatment treatment you know and that's when Maruki's probably gonna send you to a place that forcefully changes your cognition and as you go deeper you see they're studying things or researching things in the in the uh, palace and you get the videotapes and you're seeing all the flashback memories I was previously talking about and you see what led him to what he was doing led to the thing with Kazumi what led to him fully awakening his persona that day and how he got control over the metaverse essentially and as you get to the top of the palace it becomes like this garden this garden-like place, and you see these people slowly floating in the air, and they're all happy and free. They're like, "Wee!" It's like as if they're ascending, as if they've been taken up from... They're being raptured, essentially. Maruki sees himself as his savior. I don't think Maruki really saw himself as a god per se, but that was what a lot of that representation felt. He was rapturing them from this world of pain into a world of no pain. So as you're going through those final portions of the palace and you get to the top, you reach kind of like this fake Garden of Eden kind of thing. This fake, like, heavenly, beautiful place. This Elysium, essentially. And these people are, like, barely wearing clothes, but they're, they're free. They're happy. They're, they'll never feel pain here. It's this garden of eternal peace and happiness. It's, it's a heaven to them. That's what Maruki feels like he's doing with this cognitive world and if you look at the statues in the background all these statues that you see at that portion of the game 
they're all like they're a lot of them are like Rumi. They're they're his lost love because that's what triggered him starting to wanting to change people's cognitions like he did with Rumi so they didn't have to feel pain. So Maruki 100% believes what he's doing is right. He doesn't believe any of this is twisted. And like I said, I, I started to lean more towards him being a villain when we got to the questionnaire part because he was low-key forcing his ideals on you. Because if you pick the answers he would have picked, you don't have to go through rehabilitation. Because why should you? You already think like he does. But if you don't pick the answers he would have picked, then you need rehabilitation. Even though they said none of, no answer was a wrong answer. If you need rehabilitation, didn't you do something wrong? Did you not make a mistake? Like with the second room, like your the second question was you people were like uh, you're struggling with like a career goal or something like that, and it was like do you a continue to strive you know towards your career because hey it's you you wanna you wanna succeed in that goal even though it's still going to bring you more pain. I forget what the do. You, I forget what the second choice was. I think it was like, do you just like accept this because you're doing this because, oh, yeah, 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 kind of flaunting it. And there was like a kind of like a YouTube video star. I don't remember the second question. But ideally, a lot of people would probably say you should stick with your goal because, or the second option, I'm sorry, not second question. I don't remember what the second option was all the way. But ideally, you, ideally a lot of people would probably go with it, that A answer, that one where you would ideally want to excuse me to continue trying to strive for your dream no matter how much pain it brought you from there or how much sacrifice you would have to go through but that was a wrong answer and b was a wrong answer as well the right answer was c to you know kind of give up on that dream entirely because it wasn't you wouldn't have to go through the pain of sacrifice if you can't strive for that dream why should you Maybe you should do something else ideal to you. There are people that were like, oh yeah, I wanted to do this, but I ended up doing this instead because it worked out better for me. And even though they gave up on their dream, something they really wanted to do, in Maruki's eyes, that didn't cause them pain. So why should they continue to suffer through that? Why would you not do something else that didn't cause you to hurt, that didn't cause you to suffer? So that was the right answer. You know, shit like that. And you, you can see those palace questions and those answers. And as I was playing through this part of the game, I was like, this is actually Loki kind of fucked up because he's telling you you're wrong in how you feel. You shouldn't feel this way. Why would you want to feel some way that would cause you pain? Why would you risk getting hurt? Don't risk getting hurt. Do this instead. And they had these shadows administer like this therapy on you. Shit like that. And with the third question, there were clearly some answers that were wrong. I hate myself for picking the wrong answer on the third question because everyone was hating on Ryuji's choice, even though Ryuji's choice was the right fucking answer. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I let Ryuji down. It was the third question had something to do with like, uh, if you were. If you had the ability to change people's hearts and you couldn't get caught, what would you do? And hold on, I'm going to look up the answers. I'm going to look up the answers and, and read them to you.
Okay, so I couldn't really find uh, any place that I was just listing the questions for that. It was just like, you know, answers to them. I didn't look up answers for these. I was like, I'll answer them for my own and infer them. But for the third one, it was like, if you have had the ability to change people's hearts and you wouldn't get and you wouldn't get caught what would you do with it and i think there were like four or five answers and i can only really remember like a couple of them but there was one answer where it was just like oh i would change the cognition of someone i like so that they would like me that was clearly wrong and you can go through a vent and see that she was wrong there was one guy who shows he wouldn't do anything with that ability he's kind of happy with the family he had with the position he had he was very content he was like honestly i wouldn't do anything even if i would get caught and there were like two other answers and then the fifth and and one of the last answers was pretty much what the phantom fees were doing you would change the hearts of criminals to conform society so if you go to the room to discuss with everyone else like, ryuji's just like well the answer's it, it should be D. We should we conform society, and everyone's like, "No," especially Akechi. Akechi's like, "No, you idiot! Why would we? Why would he make the answer something that we did, that the Phantom Thieves do? Like, da 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 da. Should you be this or that? Like, and it comes down to either D or like another one. That is the correct answer. And I was like, "Well, I guess they're all hating on Akechi. I mean, on Ryuji. So it probably isn't D." And it was fucking D. And I was so mad. I was like, Maruki agreed with what the Phantom Thieves were doing. He was like, yeah, you use it to conform society, reform society. That's what I'm doing with my power. I'm changing everyone's cognition. But I'm just like, no, it's not the same thing. <laughs> but I, I was so annoyed by it. But yeah, you get to that point. Then, like I said, you get to the, the very tippy top. And, um, oh, there's also the, the treatment room where people are like going through like these weird corridors and scanning rooms for treatment and they have like these little helmets on and they're being shown like these dream worlds like their ideal worlds it's really weird like Maruki is like really like determined to change everyone's cognition for the dream world whether if they want to or not because I believe it I, I believe the answer I picked was I wouldn't do anything with it which was the wrong answer because Maruki believed that it was just like bullshit you wouldn't you would not do anything with it even if you wouldn't get caught. So we believe that you were inherently wrong if you pick that answer because he believes you'd be lying if you pick that answer. And I feel like most people that would say, oh, I wouldn't do anything with it are lying, but I think that guy was really fucking genuine about like, oh, I wouldn't change anything even if I wouldn't get caught. So it's just like, dude, what if he was being like really sincere about that answer? Again, the idea of them saying there's no wrong answers, but if you don't pick one specific answer you need treatment hmm <laughs> so after you you do all that you reach Eden and you seal your infiltration route up to the top where you believe the treasure is going to be at the top of this tree kind of thing you go back and you're getting ready to infiltrate the palace now there's one final discussion that will happen between you and the real Maruki he comes to LeBlanc you're talking, you tell him that you saw all the memory flashbacks and why he's doing what he's doing, and he's like, you should understand where I'm coming from then. And he's still really trying to reason with you, and that's when Akechi reveals himself to show up, and you start putting two and two together, because you've asked Akechi a couple of times now, how are you here? And how did you survive from Shido's palace? And he doesn't really give you an answer, because he's like, that's not important right now. 
But even Akechi kind of knew why he was there. He was putting two, two together. Like, why is Akechi here in this dream world if Maruki never talked to Akechi? So how would he know what Akechi's ideal world would be? How did Akechi survive the cruise ship? The answer is he didn't. Akechi never made it out of Shido's palace, even in Royal. He died. He was killed. So how did he suddenly appear that night and say, I'll turn myself in instead of Joker? How is he magically out of jail, even though he said he was going to do that? What's going on? Well, remember, if you played through that and finished uh, Akechi's confidant, you tell him, like, hey, you challenged me to a duel, didn't you? We still have to, you know, meet that agreement. You gotta promise that, you know, we'll, we'll finish, we'll settle what we started. And Akechi kind of, you know, laughs and he's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Even though he was ready to accept his fate. So in this ideal, ideal dream world, for you personally, Joker, Akechi survived. Akechi's there. Akechi's not in jail either. Akechi's free to walk amongst them. Maruki did that with the power of his cognition. It's not already out of the ordinary for him to be able to bring dead people back to life in his cognition. Wakabo was there. Uh, Makoto's inside's dad was there. Haru's dad was there. It's It makes sense that he could just do that with Akechi as well. But Akechi doesn't care. Akechi doesn't feel thankful for essentially kind of being revived in this cognitive world. And the weird thing about it is, even though this cognitive world technically isn't real, at the same time it's real. Like he's, Maruki literally had the ability to bring these people back for real. As long as you believed in the cognition, to an extent. Like when everyone accepted like, hey, this shit isn't real, Futaba's mom was indeed gone. Makoto's dad, Hadu's dad were indeed gone. So with Akechi, he's just like, look, if we take, so that's when Joker realizes like, if we take Maruki's treasure, and everything goes back to being normal. Akechi, you're going to be you're going to be gone. And this is where I got a sense of respect for Akechi, at least in his convictions. The idea of he takes control for himself to the very end. He will not accept this. He sees it as pity. He will not accept this reality. He will always refuse it. He will always deny it. He is not willing to live in this world. It's like, I don't need your pity. I don't need this guy bringing me back out of pity. I don't need this. You need to accept what is real. So Maruki's like, look, if you really still feel this way, then I guess I'll see you at the palace tomorrow. We'll settle things. However, if you change your mind now, like the whole Akechi thing like was kind of like his last trump card. Like, look, dude, Akechi's alive here. If you, if you change your mind now and don't go to my palace then I'll take that as you accepting this world for what it is. And this is the night before, so he's like, I'll, I'll be waiting if you show up or not. And you and Akechi kind of have this back and forth, and he's like, Akechi's like, it's not a big deal, and you're just like, but it is. He's like, it's fucking not. I want to hear you say, you will be going to the palace tomorrow, you will not accept this, you will fight to stop this. And if you do, Akechi's like, good, and that's how you get Akechi's tier 3, granted that you've maxed out his arcana already. If you don't go to the palace, if you don't accept this, then you get the third bad ending where you just live in Maruki's fantasy world. 
I haven't seen it yet. I believe you can go to um, the Thieves Den and watch the video for it. After you've beaten the game, you can unlock that cutscene. Or you can just look it up online. I'll probably just look it up online. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen clips of it. But yeah, that's that's what happens. If you don't go to the palace to stop Maruki, you just live in his dream world forever. But it's a really strong scene because Akechi knows, like, after this is done, he will cease to be. But he's okay with that. He'd rather that be his fate because that's a fate he chose. He does not want to be controlled by anyone, regardless of it means he of it means meaning he lives or dies. And in a sense, I was just like, I can respect that out of Akechi. He's a murderer, he's a psycho, but at the end of the day, he will not accept that. He will not accept that. Just because he's alive, he's like, fuck this. This is not right. This is not okay. This is bullshit. So <laughs> and when you're talking to him and he's like, I wanna hear you say it. Like, I want to hear you say you won't accept this. I was just like, golly. He, he's like, don't let me down now. Like, you, you've been his rival throughout this whole story. He's like, don't let me down now. Don't fall for this bullshit. So you go to the last palace. You do the last boss fight. There's three phases. This boss fight was surprisingly a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um... In the first phase, where you're fighting him with his first with his normal persona, the Adam Kodama, I believe that's what it's called. Let me uh, just to double check. It's called Adam something. It's not just called Adam. Uh, Maruki persona. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> that that song is a bop. <laughs> Come on, wanna scroll? Persona. Okay, no, his first persona is called Azathoth. Something like that, and it has the tentacles and all that good shit. And you, each each tentacle does a certain thing. It does certain damage. So you can target one. Of the, you can target one of the tentacles. You can target his persona directly. You can target Maruki. You have you have different options throughout this boss fight. And as you're fighting him, he'll do certain things like change the cognition of the fight. Like oh, you can't do any magic attacks. Oh, you can't heal. Oh, you can't do this. And it only lasts for like a turn. But as you're battling against him. He'll talk to one of your party members, whoever is out on the field, and be like, Don't you wanna do this and this? Don't you miss don't you wanna accept don't wanna accept this reality? Don't you wish this person was here? And he's trying to reason with you even as you're fighting him. And each one of your party members will reject this. Each one of your party members will like, no. Because they've grown from this. And they know they still have a lot of growing to do. You know that from when you had your tier 3 talks with them. They they know they still have a lot of room to grow and get stronger. But they, they won't ever turn back again. They'll always keep moving forward. And they're not going to accept this reality. So Maruki, as you're fighting Maruki through this fight, he's struggling to get you to understand his reasoning. But at this point, it's it's like there's no accepting it. Like, you have to stop him. And you finally beat him in this fight, and you take the treasure. But, of course, 
It's never going to be that simple. And Maruki's power evolves to the point where his persona evolves into a tier 2. That's when we get Adam Codman. Cod Codman? Codman? Adam Codman. And uh, this thing is like a giant humanoid monster. And Maruki is inside of its head. So as you're fighting this thing, it is damn near impossible to deal damage against it. It is doing powerful attacks, and you can't do anything to stop it. Well, at first, Maruki's not inside of it. He's standing there, and it's in the background. And then eventually, Maruki is inside of its head. And it's doing these powerful attacks. Like, it's sweeping its arm to crush you. It's throwing powerful blows, and you can't really hurt it. And... As you're finding a way to try to stop it, it's just like, if you can, you know, stop Maruki, you can stop the Persona. So, there's this cool-ass cutscene, and I believe is playing, and as it's about to throw its finishing blow, you find out that's its weakness. When it's throwing that attack, it's more vulnerable. So, as it's throwing that punch to attack you, your party members, you know, hold it back, hold back the attack, and they're like, go, Joker, go! And it's like, I believe, and Joker's doing all this crazy jumps and flips and shit. He's slinging out the grappling hook. And it's this cool fucking moment of, like, Maruki struggling and struggling using everything he has. He doesn't even want to fight, but he's just like, this is what I have to do to get you guys to understand. Why do you want to hurt so bad? Why do you want this? You know? And as he's, you know, struggling to get this will in and his persona is shielding him and fighting for that will too, Joker and the team reject that. They rebel against it once again. This idea of control, regardless of what intentions it means, it's still kind of like this forceful control he's trying to put on people. And they refuse to accept that. So as Joker finally jumps up and flips onto his face pulls out his pistol, holds it up to his head, and you press that button to shoot, Joker's like, checkmate. Bullet goes in, breaks off a part of Maruki's mask, everything crumbles down, and you've defeated him. So now you have uh, his treasure, which is this torch, this guiding flame into this new world, that's how he feels about it, but we don't quite know what it is in real life yet. So as this is happening, uh, you guys are trying to get away. The little wishing star for the shows for the showtimes activates, and Morgana's able to turn himself into a fucking helicopter, which I feel is hilarious because earlier in the game they're like, "Damn, you can only turn yourself into a van. Can't you turn yourself into like a helicopter or something?" So I was like, "I don't know if they're like, ah, ah, remember, remember." <laughs> but um, it was cool nonetheless to see that happen. Like Morgana, you know saved the day as everything was crumbling he was trying to protect them the power of the little wishing star jesse gave them gave them that last push and after that since the metaverse is going to cease from that point the wishing star was going to run out of power and that was the last thing that happened with it but as they're getting away on this helicopter maruki has not given up yet not quite you see the tentacle of azazoff like sling out and grab onto joker as they're trying to get away and, um, oh, the helicopter is also referenced in the, the opening to Royal when they're flying away on the chopper and Joker's holding onto the end. I'm pretty sure that was the reference to it 
So I'm just like, damn, way late in the game, like near the end, we see that. <laughs> but Maruki still hasn't let go of this idea. He still wants to put these ideals on them. He doesn't understand why they want to suffer, why they want to feel this pain. And I think the reason why he doesn't get it is because he, he fell to it, you know? Like, he, he didn't accept it and try to move from it. He's trying to erase it as if it didn't happen. He's trying to repair things in the wrong manner. You know, he doesn't want to accept the fact what's done is done. He, he wants to be like, you don't even have to go through this. Whereas our party members only know how it feels to get stronger through this suffering, through this struggle. So as Maruki's holding them back, Joker lets go and lets himself drop because they have to settle things once and for all. Maruki's almost out of power. Joker's almost out of power. It just it, It's come down to this. And it's just like neither one of them has enough energy left to use their personas. And you just have this fist fight between him and Maruki and they're just punching each other. And this is kind of like the last hurrah. Like, uh, Maruki, I believe, at this point, Maruki, like I said, I don't think he fully understands why they, they keep fighting against this. And he wants to. And he also needs to fully understand this loss. He needs to understand why he failed. So I think he did this on purpose because, you know, this was like it. Joker had to force it upon him to like, look, you need to get that this is done. And as they're throwing hands, Maruki's like, I've, I've done everything I can. I Why? Why? And you knock him out. You lay him out. And he's laying on his back, looking up at the night sky, kind of reaching out to that dream that he lost. Kind of similar to how Joker reached out when on the Day of Reckoning, when at first the God of Control had won, and he reached out as the their Phantom Thieves support bar went down to 0%. He almost vanished entirely. The only difference is Joker was still able to rebel, whereas Maruki finally had, you know, understood that he has to accept the pain that comes with everything. So as he lays there defeated, he's even ready to die, like, and Joker grabs onto him as, like, the, the tower they were in starts to crumble and he was going to fall. And you see this flash of light as, like, Joker's holding on to him, and then we're cutscene back to outside of the palace. It's gone, the meta nav is gone, it looks like everything is done. But two people, uh, we noticed that three people actually aren't with him at the moment. Uh, Joker is not there outside of the palace when the group comes out, Akechi is not there, and Maruki is not there. They clip. ooh, excuse me, sorry. They clearly can understand why Akechi isn't there. He, he's gone. You know, that reality has been shattered. Maruki no longer has control of the metaverse and no longer exists. So thus, it's reversed and Akechi is now dead. But that means Akechi never took Joker's place in jail, which means we're back to the reality of the normal Persona 5 where Joker is now in prison because he had to testify. The party doesn't know about that yet because they weren't there once I told him that. And also, Maruki is nowhere to be found either, as of yet. So the game kind of plays out how it normally did. Uh, we also find uh, what Maruki's treasure was in real life. It was a newspaper with the story of the supposed incident that happened, not supposed, the incident that happened with Rumi and her family that day. And that's the thing that kind of drove him towards his goal as well, which is why it turned into that guiding torch in the metaverse. But story kind of goes as follows as 
with the normal Persona 5. You're in jail, your friends are trying, you know, fighting hard to get you out, and all the other confidence that you maxed out are fighting hard to get you out. And you're eventually released from prison. Like I said, the story kind of keeps going as follows. Uh, you have your Valentine's Day event. I had mine with Kazumi this time around. In Persona 5, I had it with Futaba. Uh, and then we get to the ending of the game. So you say your last goodbyes to everybody, and you're about to leave. Things here are a little different. In the normal Persona 5, you meet up with, you're headed to the train station, and your homies are there, and they pick you up in the van. They're just like, dude, you know, we'll just we'll just drive you back home. You don't even have to. <laughs> so they're going on a little road trip to drive Joker back to back to his hometown. The end credits play. Uh, that song is beautiful. <laughs> with the stars in us is beautiful. I love that song. Uh, but in, and then you get a little last cut scene where they're driving in the car and Joker opens up a little sunroof, pokes his head out, so they're driving down the road. It's, it's really nice. It's this ending that you're just like, you're saying goodbye to some really good friends at that point. Uh, in Royal, the ending is different. If you, if you did the third semester, I'm assuming if you don't do third semester, the ending is the same as regular Persona 5. So you get this cutscene, you get the animated cutscene of Joker leaving and he sees everyone in the van and they're just like, oh, hey, yo. And they notice they're being followed by the government because they know of the Phantom Fuse activity now. So they're kind of like on high alert and they're watching you. So you, your team distracts them by driving off in the van thinking that Joker is in there with them while you end up getting in a taxi. Who's driving this taxi? Maruki. Maruki is driving you down. Maruki is driving you down to the train station. Uh, he's talking. You know, he's letting you know it's like it's never too late to change for the better to do this and that and that. And you find out, you know, Maruki survived, and he's going to try to move on from his trauma and actually accept that pain instead of trying to change everyone's cognition and their reality. And he says his farewell to you. You got shake hands and. And that's it. You get out of the van, uh, you get out of the taxi, uh, your homies pull up in the van, they say their final goodbyes to you, they're like, okay, you better hop on that train and get out of here. As you're walking to your train in the station, you pass by Kazumi, she's on her way to like a gymnastics thing, she says her last goodbye to you. So you get to say goodbye to everyone, and as you're getting on the train, credits start rolling. It's a different song, I think it's called Our Light. It's not a bad song. I think With the Stars in Us is a better ending theme from the original Persona 5 than it is with Our Light and uh, Royal. Still dug it. You get through the end credits. There's an end credits scene where as you're sitting on the train waiting for it to leave, you see what looks to be maybe a catchy walking by, but then look up and he's not there. Joker kind of smiles as the train's heading off. So is a catchy maybe alive? Is that what they're trying to say? I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever touch on that again. I have not played Scramble, and I don't really know much about Persona 5 Scramble, besides the fact that it takes place, I believe it's the following summer after what happens in Persona 5, and you guys are all meeting up to go on a camping trip, and then craziness ensues, and then Persona 5 Scramble starts. But I don't think Akechi is involved in that. And I was wondering how Royal is going to link up with Scramble, since I was like, well, did Akechi live? And then when you finish Royal, it's just like, oh, it looks like he's dead. So even with that little special scene at the end, 
you know, maybe it's just not going to be addressed in Scramble and it's just like, okay, well, Akechi's dead. And I guess I assume, you can assume Kazumi's not there because she's busy with her own thing. Because neither one of them actually formally fully joined the Phantom Thieves. They just kind of teamed up for that last palace. So you can still consider Royal as, as, as Link to Scramble. It doesn't just have to be Vanilla Persona 5, I feel. But whenever Scramble localizes, they didn't mention it at all in their last little talks. Um, so hopefully hopefully we don't have to wait ages and ages for Scramble to get localized. Because I'd rather play it and learn about the story than have to look up story bits online to find out what happens. I'd rather play it. I honestly really want to play it. Um... But that's, that's it. That's the story of Persona 5. And that's the idea of uh, I had with seeing the characters, the antagonists, and their ideas of uh, control, you know? And how the Phantom Thieves always were able to rebel against that and stand for what they believed in, no matter what the odds. Even when it came down to the point of, like, dude, I can take all your pain away. They still were like, no. Because we've gotten... They got to that. They only got to that point because of the pain they went through. So I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Um, so I think I had enough rambling about Maruki. This shit is almost three hours long. So let's hit the closing statements and wrap up. So I ain't gonna hold you guys any longer than I already have. This has been a long, 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 long talk. Um, way longer than I expected it to be. But. Still cool nonetheless. What are the final thoughts I have on Persona 5 Rail? Um, I did not think they'd be able to take a game like Persona 5 and make it better than it already was. Not to say that Persona 5 was perfect. I, you know, Persona still is full of flaws. Not full of flaws. Persona still has its flaws. It has Persona 5 still has its flaws. It has its issues. You know, things that aren't perfect to a T. It has its tropes, it has its cliches, but I still didn't think they were going to be able to take that game and be like, let's improve on that game. And they did, and they really pushed the bar on it. Like, Persona 5 Royal is a solid upgrade. It's not just some, like, extra content thrown into the game. It's really, like, a full-on upgrade of what Persona 5 already was. It took that foundation and just was like, let's just fucking kill it, bro. Um... So yeah, that's. I can't really say much more than that. I think I've already expressed enough how much I really enjoyed the game through the five parts of the review. And I'm not one to really give like grades or scores out of ten. Like I always say, I just I'm gonna probably do the more like a buy it, rent it, don't get, recommend if kind of thing. So I would 100% say buy this. If you haven't played a Persona game before, go ahead and jump right in. This is perfect. This is great. Um, if you played Persona 5 already and you liked it and you were kind of on the fence about whether or not you wanted to pay another $60 for Royal, I say go for it. I think it's, I 100% think it's worth paying for again. It is definitely like a very refreshed experience of the game. There's a lot of new stuff. There was a lot more new stuff than I ever expected. To be in this game I, every every time i was playing through like a certain arc of the game through like a little certain palace portion i was like whoa okay that's different oh that's different oh that's new oh they added that like there was all these little details and niches that got added into the game that just add up as a whole and 
third semester is not just some thrown in bonus chapter it is a full-on added portion of story like it is a full-on final arc kind of thing and i was i was shocked i did not expect third semester to be as good as it was i've said that before and then when i got to it i was like they really did this this isn't just like some light bonus endgame content this is a full-on extra story arc like this is a full-on extra story arc and they killed it so yeah even if you've already played persona 5 and like i said you're on the fence about royal go ahead and do it if you want to wait for the sale go ahead and wait for the sale i guess if you're still on the fence that's what i'll say if you haven't played persona 5 yet just get royal don't even worry about persona 5 it has everything in persona 5 plus a lot more so you're getting a lot more bang for your buck i believe persona 5 like the vanilla version of it is only 20 dollars right now but i say just go straight to royal it's worth it it's a hundred percent worth it um if you already played persona 5 and you were on the fence about royal if you don't want to pay sixty dollars i guess wait for it if you're like yeah very curious about persona but you don't know i don't know rent it borrow it from a friend but i think this is a hundred percent a buy this is a hundred percent a buy. The only say, the only thing I would say, I would recommend for people who, for not buy, is if you didn't like Persona Five. If you didn't like Persona Five, I wouldn't say buy Royal, even though I think Royal is better. I, I feel like if you didn't like Persona Five, you don't like the foundation of the game probably. So Royal isn't really gonna do much more. You'll probably like it a lot more than Five, but you might not like the story still at the end of the day. So I'd say if you were curious, if you didn't like 5, but you're curious about Royal, wait for a sale. Other than that, buy it. Just buy it. Just fucking buy it. Just buy it. It's great. I loved it. It's one of my favorite games. It is definitely one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I can 100% say that. But that's it. That's it for the full-on Persona 5 Royal review. That's all five parts. Um... What are we going to be talking about next week? I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll talk about... Oh, you know what? We'll talk about Crown Tundra. Because that came out recently. And I have played through that. And I'm still playing that. I'm also playing the uh, Cold Steel games. Like I said, probably when I'm done with all of them, we'll talk about them. So that's a while away. That'll be a while away. And other little updates and tidbits coming as we progress through the rest of the year. October's almost over. Sorry I didn't do anything spooky. Uh, this is coming out the day before Halloween. So happy early Halloween, I guess. But didn't do anything spooky maybe next year i wasn't prepared for it plus we were doing this um that's it that's it yeah so next week we'll talk about crown tundra some other little gaming updates this and that that and this da 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 da, -da. shoot the shit something as like a little relaxing after this long series of persona 5 talk but thanks for sticking through it especially this part i know this shit was long uh but thanks for chilling thanks for coming through I hope you guys have a good Friday, hope you guys have a good weekend, and I will see you next week. Bye!
ない